0: not understand them. He made the great mistake of leaving them out of okay Good gracious, me or oh, me or oh, me. Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back. Welcome back to Sidecar Stories. Wait a second, I saw you earlier today. Yes, indeed. Yes, you did. And this ain't the last you're going to see of me either. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, this is probably the last you'll see of me today. I don't I don't anticipate uh, crafting stream tonight the the I, I do like that with this schedule, I can kind of catch people on their lunch break and then also after work. That's my hope at least. Now I gotta be careful here because it's a long couple of chapters uh, by a couple. I mean three. Today's a three chapter day. Um there was just no better way to divide it up and it's uh, almost twenty thousand words, but i'm I'm gonna roll on through. Uh, Let me see total comes out to nineteen thousand five hundred and forty nine words So again, not quite twice uh, What I typically do in a chapter but like two and two and two-thirds I'm sure I could do the math more precisely than that if I give it a shot, but I'm not going to give it a shot (laughs) So yeah, I hope y'all are doing well Um I am, I'm going to embark on into today's chapters today, knowing that I've got a long way to go. So, so, so much of it is dialogue. Um, so I've, I've got to keep that in mind. i got to be mindful of that. And uh, I'm sure I'll say it again later on, but y'all just, just bear with me because I know it's going to be some kind of way, of course. All right. <laughs> All right, my good folks. All right, everybody, are you... Ready, set for our adventure here. My name, of course, is Sam, and this, of course, is Sidecar Stories. And of course, it's Thursday evening, which, of course, means Flying Sidecar, which is, of course, a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. If you want to get caught up to this point, you've got some listening to do. And you certainly can if you want to find all the places where these things are available uh, because I know there is some sort of uh, there's some spread of my catalog linktree slash s c s playlists l i n k t r dot e e slash s c s playlists don't forget the s on the end there. Uh, but that is the spot to go to that's the spot to be um, and then you will of course from that link be able to find the other link Which is simply linktree slash sidecar stories l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash sidecar stories um, And that one is uh, that's where you can find the hub the discord etc etc uh, Over to YouTube all that and uh, both of those links have among them the other link so you can get to any which of those from the other one of them everybody Thank you so much for hanging in there tight with my new schedule. Of course, we have got Wednesdays and Thursdays now, uh, with some other ones sort of thrown in for some diversity. Uh, Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific time, we have got Side Catons, which is the tabletop RPG wing of Sidecar Stories. Um, right now, we're doing A weeks and B weeks. A for adventure, B for spout lore sessions. Uh, we sort of alternate back and forth between doing live adventures run by me over in Discord, uh, in the the Realms of Residus, uh, uh RP Discord specifically, uh, and then B, we've got the Spout Lore sessions where we go through and talk about lore questions and develop the lore of the world. The Realms of Residus are a very special place to me, and we're just making it more special every time. Um, and then, of course, on Thursdays, we've got a 1 p.m. stream. Pacific time, and then a 4 p.m. stream, and the 4 p.m. stream is where you're at now, the 1 p.m. stream, if y'all can get here a little earlier and you're interested, we of course have Sherlock Holmes, that's what we're reading for, vintage sidecar right now, Um, but you are here for some fantasy adventure, and I understand, we're about to embark into it, but I say again, have you noticed a bit of a pattern in uh, in our perspective here? We have been following since the sort of breaking of the fellowship at the very end uh, of uh, of uh, book one slash beginning of book two. Have you noticed we've split into these groups, right? There were kind of three groups, Sam and Frodo, Merry and Pippin, carried off by orcs, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli. Well, over the course of this part one of the two towers, we've been following Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli and then Merry and Pippin, and then back to the three, and then back to the two, and now we're all back in the same place. We'll get to that in just a second, but uh, (laughs) um, this much of the party is united once again. Uh, As a matter of fact, we've picked up Gandalf the White on the way. Uh, After his, his fall in the mines of Moria, he has returned as, not Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf the White seems that he did indeed pass out of understanding and time and story and what have you, but he has been sent back to finish his business here in Middle-earth. Notice who we haven't caught back up with. What are Sam and Frodo up to? Well, unfortunately, today we are not going to find out. But, as we approach these last three chapters of this part one, of book two, the two towers, um, we're going to see the culmination of the sort of book two side of the tale of Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Merry, Pippin, and even Gandalf. Uh, and we're followed now, of course, by Theoden, Eomer, um, members of the kingdom of Rohan, the horse lords of the plains, and their battles, their their conflicts against Saruman. Saruman, this traitor to the causes of good, um, this now sort of uh, lieutenant of Sauron, Saruman, once a wise wizard, now fallen in promises of power, stands in his tower and uh, sends out orcs every which way. He is communicating somehow with Sauron in order to do Sauron's bidding and tries to draw others to his side. But, in spite of sending out Grima Wormtongue as an advisor to King Theoden of Rohan, uh, to just sort of keep King Theoden weak and powerless and depressed, essentially, in spite of that, Gandalf has shown up and blasted Grima's influence right out of Theoden, and Theoden is back on his feet with sword in hand, um, uh, doing the things that a good leader must. Xnilo says, man, J.R.R. is waiting good and long for us to hear from the Golden Duo. Proteus Spade says, yep, the tension is quite prolonged in order to do Sauron's bidding. Um, uh, and uh, that's a, that's, a, that's an excellent point, as we discover later on here, Proteus Spade says. Um, not quite exactly to do Sauron's bidding. It's more like he's playing the long game. Yes, indeed. And uh, I think the, the initial understanding was a little bit like that, but... Um, yeah, I do think Gandalf uh, has a bit more insight than that, as does Proteus Spade. Um, it seems that uh, that Sauron is trying to see how you know the various forces of the world are going to be- behave, and Sauruman, as he looks out as the power growing in Sauron's camp, um, he sort of sees, well, there there may be a place for me, but only if I join into Sauron's purpose. I think he has he has fallen to the temptation of thinking that the forces of evil are too great, and therefore I should join them, because either it's ruin or I could steal some selfish power for myself, and then indeed, there is some infighting. Um, All this, y'all, if you want to find out more, you'll probably have to listen to the back episodes, which um, I am getting some help with the editing now, and so we're still working on that workflow, but uh, you can find many of those over on uh, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Just look for Flying Sidecar, and you will find the info there. That is our review. We are about to launch into a chapter which may have the most dialogue of any of the chapters we've read so far, maybe in anything? I don't know. That chapter with a, a lot of tree beard in it, that might be a pretty strong contender, but nevertheless, I am going to ask for patience. This is my second stream of the day. I'm getting used to the schedule. I'm fe- My mouth is feeling pretty pretty agile right now. This is a good thing. How have y'all been liking it so far? I hope you have been enjoying it quite as much as I have. Um, you know, I was expecting definitely some difficulty, I think, on the uh, on the recording front. It's always tough to try and um, uh, undertake a book like this. There's just so much more to, to try and do live, you know. Uh, but at the same time, it's presented a fun challenge. We have got to use some very fun voices, uh, some very fun uh, voice mod stuff. I think a lot of it is pretty exciting. Everybody, buckle the heck up. All right, are you ready? Are you ready to hear all of this All of this talking? Ooh, boy, so, so much talking. Are you ready for it? Oh, my good God. A lot of talking. <laughs> are you ready for this? You gotta be. You best be. All right. Everyone, thank you so much for joining me here today. We now find Mary and Pippin sitting on little bits of ruin in a a flooded land that was once the great and powerful territory of Saruman. What has become of it, and how did this all come to pass? Well, let's find out together, shall we? (laughs) Chapter 9 Flotsam and Jetsam Gandalf and the king's company rode away, turning eastward to make the circuit of the ruined walls of Isengard, but Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas remained behind. Leaving Arrod and Hossufel to stray in search of grass, they came and sat beside the hobbits. Well, well, the hunt is over and we meet again at last, where none of us ever thought to come said Aragorn. "'And now that the Great Ones have gone to discuss high matters,' said Legolas, "'the hunters can perhaps learn the answers to their own small riddles. "'We tracked you as far as the forest, "'but there are still many things I should like to know the truth of.' "'And there's a great deal, too, that we want to know about you,' said Merry. "'We've learned a few things through Treebeard, the old Ent, uh, "'but that's not nearly enough.' "'All in good time,' said Legolas. "'We were the hunters, and you should give an account of yourselves to us first. "'Or second,' said Gimli. "'It would go better after a meal. "'I've got a sore head and this past midday. "'You truants might make amends by finding us some of the plunder that you spoke of. "'Food and drink would pay off some of my score against you.' "'Then you shall have it,' said Pippin.' Would you like it here, or in more comfort than what's left of Sir cart house Over there, under the arch. You had a picnic out here, so as to keep an eye on the road. Less than eye," said Gimli, but I will not go into any orc house or touch any ork's meat or anything that they have mauled. You won't have to, said Merry. We've had enough orcs ourselves to last a lifetime, but there are many other folk in Isengard... Uh, Saruman kept enough wisdom not to trust his orcs. He had men to guard his gates, some of his most faithful servants, I suppose. Anyway, they were favored and got good provisions. "'And pipeweed?' asked Kimly. "'No, I, I don't think so,' Mary laughed. "'But that's another story which can wait until after lunch.' Well, "'Let's go and have lunch, then,' said the dwarf. The hobbits led the way and they passed under the arch and came to a wide door upon the left at the top of a stair. It opened direct into a large chamber, with other smaller doors at the far end and a hearth and chimney at one side. The chamber was hewn out of stone, and it must once have been dark, for its windows looked out into the only tunnel. But light now came in through the broken roof. On the hearth, wood was burning. I like a bit of a fire, said Pippin. It chilled us up in the folks, but there were... A few bundles of wood about, and most of it was wet. But there was a great draught in the chimney. It seems to wind all the way up through the rock, and fortunately it's not been blocked. A fire's handy. I'll make you some toast. The bread is three or four days old, I'm afraid. Aragorn and his companions sat down at one end of a long table, and the hobbits disappeared through one of the inner doors. store room is there, above the woods, luckily said Pippin, as they came back, laden with dishes, bowls, cups, knives, and food of various sorts. "'And you need not turn up your nose at the provender, Master Gimli,' said Mary. "'It's not orc stuff, but man-food, as Treebeard calls it. Will you have wine or beer? There's a barrel inside here, very passable, and this is first-rate salted pork. Or I can cut you up some rashers of bacon and broil them if you like.' "'I'm sorry, there's no green stuff. "'The deliveries have been rather interrupted in the last few days. "'I can't offer you anything to follow but butter and honey for your bread. "'Are you content?' "'Yes, indeed,' said Gimli. "'The score is much reduced.' "'The three were soon busy with their meal, "'and the two hobbits, unabashed, set to a second time. "'We must keep our guests company,' they said. "'You are full of courtesy this morning,' laughed Legolas. "'But maybe, if we had not arrived, "'you would already have been keeping one another company again.' "'Maybe, and why not?' said Pippin. "'We had foul fare with the orcs, "'and little enough to eat for these before that. "'It seems a good long while since we could eat to our heart's content.' does not seem to have done you any harm,' said Aragorn. "'Indeed you look in the bloom of health.' Ay, you do indeed,' said Gimli, looking up at them and down over the top of his cup. "'Why, well, your hair is twice as thick and curly as when we parted, "'and I could swear that you'd both grown somewhat. "'If that's possible, for how much your age, "'this tree-beard and in the right has not starved you.' "'He is not,' said Merry. "'But entes only drink, and drink is not enough to be content.' Treebeard's draughts may be nourishing, but one feels the need of something solid. And even Lembus is none the worse for a change. You drunk the waters of the elves, have you? said Legolas. Ah, then it is likely that Gimli's eyes do not deceive him. Strange songs have been sung of the draughts of Fangorn. Many strange tales have been told about that land, said Aragorn. I have never entered it. Come, tell me about it, and about the ants. Ants, oh, ants are well. Ants are all different, for one thing. But their eyes—now their eyes are very odd. He tried a few fumbling words that trailed off into silence. Uh, 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 well, he went on. Have you seen some at a distance already? They saw you, at any rate, and they reported that you were on the way and that you will see many others, I suppose, before you leave here. You must form your own ideas. No, no, said Gimli. We are all at the beginning and the story is in the middle. I should like a tale in the right order, starting with the strange day that our fellowship was broken. And you shall have it if there's time, said Mary. But first, if, if you've finished eating, you shall fill up your pipes and light up, and then for a little while we can pretend that we're all safe back at Brie again. Or in Rivendell. He produced a small leather bag full of tobacco. We got heaps of it, he said. And you all can pack as much as you wish when we go. We did some salvage work this morning, Pippin and I. There were lots of things floating about. It was Pippin who found two small barrels washed up in some cellar or storehouse, I suppose. When we opened them, we found they were filled with this. As fine a pipeweed as you could wish for, and quite unspoiled. Gimli took some and rubbed it in his palms and sniffed it. It feels good, and it smells good, he said. It is good, said Mary. My dear Gimli, this is Longbottom leaf. There were the hornblower's brand marks and the barrels plain as plain. How it came here, I can't imagine, for Saruman's private use, I fancy. I never knew it went so far abroad. But it comes in handy now. It would, said Gimli. If I had a pipe to go with it. Alas, I lost mine in Moria, or before. Is there no pipe in all of your plunder? No, I'm afraid not, said Mary. We've not found any, not even here in the guard rooms. Saruman kept this dainty to himself, it seems. And I don't think it would be of any use knocking on the doors of Orthank to beg a pipe out of him. We shall have to share pipes, as good friends must at a pinch. Oh, oh, half a moment. "'said Pippin, putting his hand inside his breast pocket of his jacket "'and pulling out a soft wallet on a string. "'I keep a treasure or two near my skin, as precious as rings to me. "'Here's one, my old wooden pipe, and here's another, an unused one. "'I've carried it a long way, though I don't know why. "'I never really expected to find any pipe weed on the journey when my own ran out, "'but now it comes in useful after all.' "'He held up a small pipe with a wide flattened bowl and handed it to Gimli.' "'Does that settle the score between us?' "'Settle it!' cried Gimli. "'Most noble hobbit, it leaves me deep in your debt!' "'Well, I am going back into the open air to see what the wind and sky are doing,' said Legolas. "'We will come with you,' said Aragorn. "'They went out and seated themselves upon the piled stones before the gateway.' They could see far down into the valley now. The mists were lifting and floating away upon the breeze. Let us take our ease here for a little while, said Aragorn. We will sit on the edge of ruin and talk, as Gandalf says, while he's busy elsewhere. I feel a weariness such as I have seldom felt before. He wrapped his gray cloak about him, hiding his mail shirt, and stretched out his long legs. Then he lay back and sent from his lips a thin stream of smoke. Dick, said Pippin, Strider the Ranger has come back. He's never been away, said Aragorn. I am Strider, and Dunadan too, and I belong both to Gondor and to the North. They smoked in silence for a while and the sun shone on them, slanting into the valley from among high white clouds in the west. Legolas lay still, looking up at the sun and sky with steady eyes, and singing softly to himself. At last he sat up. Come now, he said. Time wears on, and the mists are blowing away. Or would, if you strange folk do not wreathe yourselves in smoke? What of the tale? Well... My tale begins with the waking up in the dark and finding myself all strung up in an orc camp, said Pippin. Let me see, what is it today? The 5th of March, in Shire reckoning, said Aragorn. Pippin made some calculations on his fingers. Only nine days ago, he said. It seems a year since we were caught. Well, though half of it was like a bad dream, I reckon that three very horrible days followed. But he will correct me if I forget anything important. I'm not "'Going into details, the whips and filth and stench, and you know all that, it doesn't bear remembering.' "'With that he plunged into an account of Boromir's last fight, and the orc march from Muil to the forest. "'The others nodded as the various points were fitted in with their guesses. "'Here are some treasures you let fall,' said Aragorn. "'You'll be glad to have them back.' "'He loosened his belt from under his cloak and took from it the two sheathed knives.' Well, said Mary, I never expected to see those again. I marked a few orks with mine, but Uggluck took them from us. How he glared! At first I thought he was going to stab me, but he threw the things away like they burned him. And here also is your brooch, Pippin, said Aragorn. I have kept it safe, for it is a very precious thing. I know, said Pippin. It was arranged to let it go, but what else could I do? Nothing else answered Aragorn. One who cannot cast away treasure at need is in fetters. You did rightly. The cutting of the bands at your wrists! That was smart work, said Gimli. Luck served you there, but you seized your chance with both hands, one may say. And set us with a pretty riddle, said Legolas. I wondered if you had grown wings. No, unfortunately not, said Pippin. "'You did not know about Grishnak?' "'He shuddered and said no more, "'leaving Mary to tell of those last horrible moments, "'the pawing hands, the hot breath, "'the dreadful strength of Grishnak's hairy arms. "'All this about the orcs of Barad-dûr, as they call it, "'it makes me uneasy,' said Aragorn. "'The Dark Lord already knows too much, "'and his servants also, and Grishnak... "'evidently sent some message across the river after the quarrel. "'The red eye will be looking toward Isengard. "'But Saruman, at any rate, is in a cleft stick of his own cutting.' "'Yes, whichever side wins, his outlook is poor,' said Merry. "'Things began to go all wrong from the moment that his orcs set foot in Rohan.' "'We caught a glimpse of the old villain, or saw so Gandalf hints,' said Gimli. "'On the edge of the forest!' When was that? asked Pippin. Five nights ago, said Eregorn. Let me see, said Mary. Five nights ago now, we came to a part of the story that you know nothing about. We met Treebeard that morning, after the battle. And that night we were at Wellinghall, one of his ent houses. The next morning we went to Entboot, a gathering of the Ents, that is, and the queerest thing I have ever seen in my life. It lasted all that day and the next, and we spent the nights with an ent called Quickbeam. And then late in the afternoon, on the third day of their moot, the ants suddenly blew up. It was amazing. The forests had felt as tense as if a thunderstorm were brewing inside it, and then all at once it exploded. I wish you could have heard their songs as we marched. If Saruman had that he would be a hundred miles away by now. If he had run on his own two legs, said Pippin. Though Isengard be strong and hard, as cold as stone and bare his bone, We go, we go, we go to war, to hew the stone and break the door. There was very much more. A great deal of the song had no words and was like music of horn and drums. It was very exciting, but I thought it was only marching music and no more, just a song. Until we got here. Now I know better. We'd come down over the last ridge into Nancourneer after the night had fallen. Mary continued. It was then that I first had the feeling that the forest itself was moving behind us. I thought I was dreaming, an entish dream, but Pippin had noticed it too. We were both frightened, but we didn't find out more about it until later. It was the horns, or so the Ents called them in short language. Uh, Treebeard won't say much about them, but I think that they're Ents that have become almost like trees, at least to look at. They stand there and there in the woods or under the eaves, silent, watching endlessly over the trees. But deep in the darkest dales, there are hundreds and hundreds of them, I believe. There's a great power in them. They seem to be able to wrap themselves in shadow. It's difficult to see them when they're moving, but they do, and they move very quickly if they're angry. You stand still, uh, looking at the weather maybe, or listening to the rustling of the wind, and then suddenly you find you're in the middle of a wood with great groping trees all around you. They still have voices and can speak with the Ents. That's why they're called horns, Treebeard says. But they become queer and wild. Dangerous. I should be terrified of meeting them if there were no true Ents around to look after them. "'Well, in the early night we crept down a long ravine into the upper end of the Wizard's Vale, "'the Ents with all their rustling horns behind. "'We could not see them, of course, but the whole air was full of creaking. "'It was very dark, a cloudy night. "'They moved at a great speed as soon as they left the hills and made a noise like a rushing wind. "'The moon didn't appear through the clouds, and not long after midnight "'there was a tall wood all round the north side of Isengard.' There was no sign of enemies or any challenge. There was a light gleaming from a high window in the tower. That was all. Treebeard and a few more ants crept up right round to within sight of the great gates. Pippin and I were with him. We were sitting on Treebeard's shoulders, and I could feel the quivering uh, tenseness in him. But even when they were roused, ants could be very cautious and patient. They stood still as carved stones, breathing and, and listening. And then all at once there was a tremendous stir, trumpets blared and the walls of Isengard echoed. We thought we had been discovered and that battle was going to begin. But nothing of the sort. All of Saruman's people were marching away. I don't know much about this war or about the horsemen of Rohan, but Saruman seems to mean to finish off the king and all his men with one final blow. He emptied out Isengard. I saw the enemy go. Endless lines of marching orcs, and, and troops of them mounted on great wolves. There were battalions of men, too. Many of them carried torches in the, in the f- flare I could see their faces. Most of them were ordinary men, rather tall and dark-haired and grim, but not particularly evil-looking. But some of the ones there were horrible. They were man-high, but with goblin faces, leering. "'Sallow. do You know, they reminded me at once of that Southerner at Bree. "'Only he was not so obviously orc-like as most of these were.' "'I thought of him, too,' said Aragorn. "'We've had many of these half-orcs to deal with at Helm's Deep. "'It seems plain now that the Southerner was a spy of Saruman's. "'Whether he was working with the Black Riders or for Saruman alone, I do not know. "'It is difficult with these evil folk to know when they are in league.' and when they are treating one another. Well, of all sorts together, there must have been ten thousand at the very least, said Mary. It took an hour to pass out of the gates. Some went off down the highway to the fords, and some turned away and went eastward. A bridge has been built down there, about a mile away, where the river runs in a very deep channel. You could see it now if you stood up. Uh, They were all singing with harsh voices and and laughing and making a hideous din. I thought things looked very black for Rohan, but Treebeard, he didn't move. He said, my business is with Isengard tonight, with rock and stone. Uh, But though I could not see what was happening in the dark, I believe that the horns began to move south. As soon as the gates were shut again, their business was with the orcs, I think. They were far down the valley in the morning, or at any rate there was a shadow there that one couldn't see through. As soon as Saruman had sent off his army, our turn came. Treebeard put us down and went up to the gates and began hammering on the doors and calling for Saruman. There was no answer, except arrows and stones from the walls, but arrows are no use against the ants. They hurt him, of course, and infuriate him, like stinging flies. But an ant can be stuck full of orc arrows as a pincushion and take no harm. They can't be poisoned, for one thing, and their skin seems to be very thick and tougher than bark. It takes a very heavy axe stroke to wound him seriously. They don't like axes. But there would have been a great many axemen to one an ant. A man that hacks once in an ant doesn't get a chance for a second blow. A punch from an ant fist crumples up iron like thin tin. Oh, when Treebeard had got a few arrows into him, he began to warm up. To get positively hasty, as he would say. that out a great home, home. And a dozen more ants came striding up. Oh, an angry Ent is terrifying. And their fingers and their toes to just freeze under the rock. And they tear it up like a bread crust. It was like watching the work of great tree roots in a hundred years old packing in a few moments. They pushed and pulled and tore and shook and hammered and clang-bang and crash, crack! In five minutes they had these huge gates just lying in ruin, and some were already beginning to eat into the walls, like rabbits in a sand pit. I don't know what Saruman thought was happening, but anyway, he didn't know how to deal with it. His wizardry may have been falling off lately, of course, but anyway, I think he's not got much grit, not much plain courage alone in a tight place without a lot of slaves and machines and things, if you know what I mean. Very different from old Gandalf. I wonder if his fame was not all along, mainly due to his cleverness at Sillen and Isengard. No, said Aragorn. no, once he was as great as his fame made him. His knowledge was deep, his thought was subtle, and his hands marvellously skilled, and he had the power over the minds of others. The wise he could persuade, and the smaller folk he could daunt, that power he certainly still keeps.' There are not many in Middle-earth that I should say were safe if they were left alone to talk to him, even now, when he has suffered defeat. Gandalf, Elrond, uh, Caladriel, perhaps, now that his wickedness has been laid bare, but very few others. The Ents are safe, said Pippin. He seems at one time to have caught round them, but never again. And, anyway, he did not understand them and he made the great mistake of leaving them out of his calculations. He got no plan for them, and there was no time to make any once they had set to work. As soon as our attack began, the few remaining rats in Isengard started bolting every hole that an Ent had made. The Ents let the men go after they had questioned them. Two or three dozen only, down at this end. I don't think many Orc folk of any size escaped. Not from the horns. There was a wood full of them all round Isengard at the time, as well as those that had gone down to the valley. Well, when the Ents had reduced a large part of the southern walls to rubbish, and what was left of his people had bolted and deserted him, Saruman fled in panic. He seems to have been at the gates when we arrived. I expect that he came to watch his splendid army march out. When the Ents broke their way in, he left in a hurry. They did not spot him at first, but the night had opened out, and there was a great light of stars, quite enough for Ents to see, by and suddenly Quickbeam gave a cry. The tree killer! The tree killer! Quickbeam is a gentle creature, but he hates Saruman all the more fiercely for that. His people suffered cruelly from oak axes. He leapt down from the path to the inner gate, and he can move like the wind when he's roused. There was a pale figure hurrying away out the shadows of the pillars, and it had nearly reached the stairs to the tower door. But it was a near thing. Quickbeam was so hot after him, he was within a step or two of being caught and strangled when he slipped through the door. When Saruman was safe back in Orthanc, it was not long before he set some of his precious machinery to work. By that time, there were many ants inside Isengard. Some had followed Quickbeam, and others had burst in from the north and the east. They were roaming around, doing a great deal of damage. Suddenly, up came fires and foul fumes. The vents and the shafts all over the plain began to spout and belch. Several of the ants got scorched and blistered. One of them, a beechbone, I think it was called, a very tall, handsome ant, got caught in a spray of some liquid fire and burned like a torch. A horrible sight. That sent them mad. I thought that they really had been roused before, but I was wrong. I saw what it was like at last. It was staggering. They roared and boomed and trumpeted until stones began to crack and fall at the mere noise of them. Mary and I lay on the ground and stuffed our cloaks in our ears. Round and round, the rock of Orthanc, the inths went striding and storming like a howling gale, breaking pillars, hurling avalanches of boulders down the shafts, tossing up huge slabs of stone into the air like leaves. The tower was in the middle of a spinning whirlwind. I saw iron posts and blocks of masonry go rocketing up hundreds of feet and smash against the windows of Orthanc. But Treebeard, Treebeard kept his head. He'd not had any bonds, luckily. He didn't want his folk to hurt themselves enough, Fairy, and he did not want Saruman to escape out of some hole in confusion. Many of the ants were hurling themselves against Orthanc Rock, but that defeated them. It's very smooth and hard. Some wizardry in it, perhaps, older and stronger than Saruman's. Anyway, they could not get a grip on it, or make a crack in it, and they were bruised and wounding themselves against it. So Treeperd went out into the ring and shouted. His enormous voice rose up above all the din, and there was a dead silence suddenly. In it we heard a shrill laugh from a high window in the tower. That had a queer effect on the ants; They were all boiling over, and now they became cold, grim as ice and, and, and quiet. They left the plain and gathered around Treebeard, standing quite still. He spoke to them, a little, in their own language. I think he was telling them of a plan that he had made a long time ago in his old head. And then they just faded silently away in the grey night. Day was starting to dawn at that time. They set a watch in the towers, I believe. But the watchers were so well hidden in the shadows and kept so still, I could not see them. The others went away north. All that day they were busy, out of sight. Most of the time we were left alone. It was a dreary day, and we wandered about a bit, though we kept out of the view of the windows of Orthanc as much as we could. They stared at us so threateningly. A good deal of time we spent looking for something to eat, and also we sat and talked, wondering what was happening away south in Rohan, and what had become of all the rest of our company. Every now and then we could hear in the distance the rattle and fall of stone, and thudding noises echoed in the hills. In the afternoon we walked round the circle and went to have a look at what was going on. There was a great shadowy wood of horns at the head of the valley and another round the northern wall. We did not dare go in, but there was a rending, tearing noise of work going on inside. Ents and horns were digging great pits and trenches and making great pools and dams, gathering all the waters of the Isen and every other spring and stream they could find. Well, we left them to it. At dusk, Treebeard came back to the gate. He was humming and booming, and seemed to have pleased with himself. He stood and stretched his great arms and legs and breathed deep. I asked him if he was tired. Tired, he said. Tired, no, not tired, but stiff. I need a good draught of wash We've worked hard, we've done more stone-cracking and earth-gnawing today than we've done in many a long year before, but he's nearly finished. When night falls, do not linger near this gate or in the old tunnel. Water may come through it, and it will be foul water for a while until all the filth of ceremonies is washed away. Then Isen can run clean again. He began to pull down a bit more of the walls in a leisurely sort of way, almost just to amuse himself. And We were just wondering where it would be safe to lie down and get some sleep when the most amazing thing of all happened. There was the sound of a rider coming swiftly down the road. Mary and I lay quiet and Treebeard hid himself in the shadows under the arch. Suddenly a great horse came striding up like a flash of silver. It was already dark but I could see the rider's face clearly. It seemed to shine and his clothes were all white. I just sat up staring with my mouth open and I tried to call out but I couldn't. But there was no need. He halted just by us and looked down at us. Gandalf... I said it at last, but my voice was only a whisper. And did he say, Hello, Pippin, this is a pleasant surprise. No, oh, indeed, he said. Go up, you tom fool of a took. Where, in the name of wonder, in all this rain, is Treebeard, I want him, quick. Now, Treebeard had his voice coming out of the shadows at once, and there was a strange meeting. I was surprised, because neither of them seemed surprised at all. Gandalf obviously expected to find Treebeard here, and Treebeard may almost have been loitering near the gates on purpose to meet him. And yet, we had told the old inn about Moria, but then I remembered a queer look that he gave us at the time. I could only suppose that he had seen Gandalf or heard some news of him, but wouldn't say anything in the hurry. Don't be hasty, that's his motto. But nobody, not even elves, will say much about Gandalf's movements when he's not there. Hmm Gandalf! said Treebeard. I'm glad that you've come, wood and water, stone and stock, I can muster. But there is a wizard to manage here. Treebeard, said Gandalf, I need your help. You've done much, but I need more. I have about ten thousand orcs to manage. And then those two went off and had a council together in some corner. It must have seemed very hasty to Treebeard, for Gandalf was in a tremendous hurry, and he was already talking at a great pace before they passed out of hearing. They were only away a matter of minutes, perhaps a quarter of an hour, and then Gandalf came back to us, and he seemed relieved, almost merry. He did say that he was glad to see us then. But Gandalf, I cried, where have you been? And have you seen the others? Ah, oh, wherever I have been, and back. He answered in genuine Gandalf manner. Yes, I've seen some of the others, but news must wait. This was a perilous night, and I must ride fast. But the dawn may be brighter, and if so, we shall meet again. Take care of yourselves, and keep away from Orthanc. Goodbye. Tribal was very thoughtful after a gone. He had evidently learned a lot in a short time, and was digesting it. He looked at us and said, mm, Well, I find that you are not such... Hasty folk, as I thought, Hum, hum. you said much less than you might and not more than you should. Mm, This is a bundle of news and no mistake. Well, now Treebeard must get busy again. Before he went, we got a little news out of him and it did not cheer us up at all. But for the moment, we thought more about you three than about Frodo and Sam, or poor old Boromir. For we gathered that there was a great battle going on or that there soon would be, and that you were in it, and might never come out of it. Horns will help, said Threebeard, and then he went away, and we didn't see him again till this morning. It was deep night. We lay on top of a pile of stone and could see nothing beyond it. Mist and shadows or something blocked out everything like a great blanket all around us. The air seemed hot and heavy. It was full of rustlings and creakings and a marmalike like voices passing. I think that hundreds more of the horns must be passing by us to help in the battle. Later there was a great rumble of thunder away in the south and flashes of lightning far away across Rohan. Every now and then we could see the mountain peaks, miles and miles away, stab out suddenly, black and white, and then vanish. And behind us there were noises like thunder in the hills, but different. At times the whole valley echoed. It must have been about midnight when the Ents broke the dams and poured all the gathered waters through a gap in the northern wall, down into Isengard. The horn Dark had passed and the thunder rolled away. The moon was sinking behind the western mountains. Isengard began to fill up with black, creeping streams and pools. They gathered in the last light of the moon and they spread over the plain. Every now and then, the waters found their way down into some shaft or spout hole, Great white steams hissed up, smoke rose in billows. There were explosions and gusts of fire. One great coil of vapour went whirling up, twisting round and round, or oh, thank it, it looked like a tall peak of cloud, fiery underneath and moonlit up above. And still more water poured in, until at last Isengard looked like a huge flat saucepan, all steaming and bobbling. We saw a cloud of smoke and steam from the south last night. "'When we came to the mouth of Nancourineer,' said Aragorn, "'we feared Saruman was brewing up some new devilry for us.' "'Not he!' said Pippin. "'He was probably choking and not laughing any more.' "'But in the morning, yesterday morning, "'the water had sunk down into all the holes, "'and there was a dense fog. "'We took refuge in that guardroom over there, "'and we had rather a fright. "'The lake began to overflow and pour through the old tunnel, "'and the water was rising rapidly up to the steps.' We thought we were going to get caught like orcs in a hole, but we found a winding stair at the back of the storeroom that brought us out to the top of the arch. It was a squeeze to get out, as the passages had been cracked and half-blocked when fallen stone came in the other top. Then we sat high up above the floods and watched the drowning of Isengard. The heads kept on pouring in more water till all the fires were quenched and every cave was filled. The fogs slowly gathered together and steamed up into a huge umbrella of cloud it must have been a mile high! In the evening there was a great rainbow over the eastern hills. Then the sunset was plotted out by a thick drizzle on the mountainsides. It all went very quiet. A few wolves howled mournfully far away. The ants stopped the inflow at the night time and sent the in back in its old course. And that was the end of it all. Since then the water has been sinking again. There must be outlets somewhere from the caves underneath I think. If Saruman peeps out of any of his windows, it must look untidy. A dreary mess. We felt very lonely. Not even a visible ant to talk to in the ruin. And no news. We spent the night on top there, above the arch. It was cold and damp and we didn't sleep. We'd got a feeling that anything might happen at any minute. Saruman is still in his tower. There was a noise in the night. Like a wind coming up the valley. I think the ants and the horns that had been away came back then, but... Where they've all gone to now, I don't know. It was a misty, moisty morning when we climbed down again and looked around, and nobody was about. And that's about all there is to tell. It seems almost peaceful now, after all the turmoil. And safer too somehow, since Gandalf came back. Oh, I could sleep. They all fell silent for a while. Gimli refilled his pipe. There is one thing I wonder about he said as he lit it with flint and tinder. Warm tongue! You told that he was with Saruman. How did he get there? Oh, yes, I forgot about him, said Pippin. He did not get here till this morning. We just lit up the fire and had some breakfast when Treebeard appeared again. We heard him humming and then calling our names outside. Hoom, I'll just come round to see how you're faring, my lads, he said, and to give you some news. Horns have come back all is well, ay, very well indeed, Borum. And he laughed and he slapped his thighs. No more oaks in Isengard, no more axes, and there will be folk coming up from the south before the day is old, some that you may be glad to see. They had hardly said it, and then we heard the sound of hoofs on the road. We rushed out before the gates, and I stood and I stared, half expecting to see Stridar and Gandalf come right out at the head of an army. But out of the mist, there rode a man on a tired old horse and he looked a queer, twisted sort of creature himself. There was no one else. When he came out of the mist and suddenly saw all the ruin and wreckage in front of him, he gasped and sat and his face went almost green. He was so bewildered he didn't seem to notice at first. And then he did and gave a cry and tried to turn his horse around and run off. But Treebeard took three strides, put out a long arm and lifted him out of the saddle. His horse bolted in terror, and he grovelled on the ground, and he said that he was Grima, friend and counsellor, of the king had been sent with important messages from Theoden to Saruman. No one else would dare to ride through the open land so full of foul oaks, he said. So I was sent, and I have a perilous journey, and I am hungry and weary. I fled far north out of my way, pursued by wolves. I caught the sidelong looks that he gave to Treebeard, and I said to myself, liar. Treebeard looked at him with his long, slow way for several minutes, till the wretched man was squirming on the floor, and then at last he said, mm, mm, I was expecting you, Master Tongue." The man started at that name. Gandalf got here first, so I know as much about you as I need, "'and I know what to do with you. "'Put all the raps in one trap,' said Gandalf, and I will. "'I'm the master of Isengard, Barum. "'but Saruman is locked in his tower, "'and you can go there and give him all the messages you can think of.' let me go, let me go,' said Wampung. "'I know the way. "'You knew the way, I don't doubt,' said Treebeard. But things have changed here a little. Go and see. He let Tan go, and he limped off through the arch with us close behind, until he came inside the ring and could see all the floods that lay between him and Orthanc. And then he turned to us. Let me go away, he whined. Let me go away. My messages are useless now. ''They are indeed,'' said Treebeard, ''but you've got only two choices to stay with me until Gandalf and your master arrive, or to cross the river. Which will you have?'' The man shivered at the mention of his master, and put his foot into the water, but he drew it back. ''I cannot swim,'' he said. ''The water is not deep,'' said Treebeard. ''It's dirty, but that will not harm you, Master Wormtongue. In you go now!'' And without the wretch floundered off into the flood, he rose up nearly to his neck before he got too far away from me to see him. <laughs> the last I saw of him, it was clinging to some sort of old barrel or piece of wood. But 3 waited after him and watched his progress. Well, he's gone in, he said when he returned. Broom, I saw him crawling up the steps like a draggled rat. There is someone in the tower still. A hand came out and pulled him in, so there he is, and I hope that the welcome is to his liking. Now I must go and wash myself clean of the slime. Bar-oom, I'll be up away on the north side, hum hum, if anyone wants to see me. There is no clean water down here fit for an ant to drink or to bathe in, so I will ask you two lads to keep a watch at the gate for the folk that are coming. There'll be the lord of the fields of Rohan, mark you Barum You must welcome him as well as you know how. His men have fought a great fight with the orcs. Maybe you know the right fashion of men's words for such a lord better than hence. There have been so many lords in the green fields in my time, and I've never learned their speech or their names. Barum hum, hum. They will be wanting man food, and you know all about that, I guess. So find out what you think is fit for a king to eat if you can. And that's the end of the story. Though I should like to know who this Wormtongue is. Was he really a king's counsellor? He was, said Aragorn, and also Saruman's spy and servant in Rohan. Fate has not been kinder to him than he deserves. The sight of the ruin of all that he thought so strong and magnificent must have almost been punishment enough. But I fear that worse awaits him. Yes, I don't suppose Treebeard sent him to thank out of kindness, said Mary. He seemed rather grimly delighted with the business, and was laughing to himself when he went to get his bath and his drink. We spent a busy time after that, searching the flotsam and rummaging about. We found two or three storerooms in different places nearby, above the flood level, but Treebeard sent cements down, and they carried off a great deal of the stuff. We want man food for twenty-five the Ents said, so you can see that somebody had counted your company carefully before you arrived. You three were evidently meant to go on with the great people, but you wouldn't have fared any better. We kept as good as we sent, I promise you, because we sent no drink. What about drink? I said to the Ents. There is water of eisen, they said, and that is good enough for Ents and for men. But I hope that the Ents have found time to brew up some of their own drafts from the mountain springs, and we'll see Gandalf's beard curling when he returns.' After the ants had gone, we felt tired and hungry, but we didn't grumble. Our labours had been well rewarded. It was through our search for man-food that Pippin discovered the prize of all the flotsam, those hornblower barrels. Pipeweed is better after food, said Pippin, and that is how the situation arose. We understand it all perfectly now, said Gimli. All except for one thing, said Aragorn. Cleave from the South Farthing in Isengard. The more I consider it, the more curious I find it. I have never been in Isengard, but I have journeyed this land, and I know well the empty countries that lie between Rohan and the Shire. Neither goods nor folk have passed that way for many a long year, not openly. Saruman had secret dealings with someone in the Shire, I guess. Worm tongues may be found in other houses than King Theoden's. Was there a date on the barrels?' Yes, said Pippin. That was the 1417 crop. That's last year's. No, the year before, of course. A very good year. Ah, oh, well. Whatever evil was afoot is over now, I hope, or else it is beyond our reach at present, said Aragorn. Yet I think I shall mention it to Gandalf. Small matter though it may seem among his great affairs. I wonder what he's doing, said Mary. The afternoon's getting on. Let us go and look around. You can enter Isengard at any rate now, Strider, if you want to, but, uh, (laughs) it's not a very cheerful sight. (laughs) Okay, y'all, I was super anxious about how that chapter was gonna go. That was fun! That was great! frankly, not, not nearly as many errors as I was anticipating. I thought I was going to come out of that thing exhausted and just like totally full of errors. I think I had fewer errors in that than the entirety of, uh, of our stream earlier today in Sherlock Holmes. That went really well. That was a good time. Um, I hope it was okay to keep up with. I hope that, that the accent wasn't entirely overbearing, but then again, you know, it's, we're We're dealing with some very overexcited hobbits. So maybe it was a bit. Ashley Joy says, "I love this. Ashley Joy, thank you very much for joining us. We are currently reading through the Lord of the Rings. If you want to find out more and you want to find out the previous recordings of it, go ahead and follow linktree L-I-N-K-T-R slash sidecar stories l i n k t r dot e e slash sidecar stories. You'll find uh, a number of links there, including the discord, etc. And also uh, down toward the bottom, you'll find the other link tree, which is linktree slash SCS playlists. But if you want the easiest version, you don't want to follow a bunch of links. Just go ahead and uh, pop directly into this one sidecar stories or wherever you listen to podcasts, look for flying sidecar. You should be able to find it there. For anyone who is wondering what this is, what this is all about, my name is Sam and this is Sidecar Stories. Hello, wonderful people. Um, we have just had a very enjoyable time reading chapter uh, nine of The Two Towers. We are in The Lord of the Rings Two Towers. Of course, I mentioned it before, but this is the in between time, so I think this is more likely to get heard. New schedule. Wednesdays, we've got A and B weeks, but we spend every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time in the realms of Residus. It's our own tabletop RPG world inside Cannons, The tabletop arm of Sidecar Stories. And then, of course, on Thursdays, two streams. 1 p.m. Pacific time, Vintage Sidecar, and 4 p.m. Pacific time, Flying Sidecar. Side cannons, Vintage Sidecar, Flying Sidecar. Um... And we have an awful lot of fun here. If you want to find out more about the schedule, I've got that posted over in Discord and a couple of other spots as well. I do know, uh, Sander mentioned I need to update that, and I certainly shall. Um, but, good folks, what a grand old time. What a grand old time, my good folks. Proteus Spade says, okay, so this was not the chapter that I thought it was. I keep forgetting the order of these things, I suspect. Yeah, what are we, Proteus, what was the... um. What's the sort of, like, the marker that you're waiting for to indicate, oh, this is the chapter that I was thinking of? I am curious. <laughs> Orly Rose says, okay, better and better and better. Um, yeah, no, it's it's an exciting time, this one. I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, pretty says, I was thinking voice of Saruman. I see. That is chapter 10, which is our very next chapter. So, you need not wait very long. I'm not even going to take a break. Um, I am probably going to go fill up my water again. Ah. <sighs> Just so I don't run out mid-chapter. I think that will be important. Pretty Spade says, The Voice of Saruman is my big, this is the big reason to read the books chapter. Indeed, it is It is worth a read. And uh, I'm glad that all of you are here to enjoy it as well. Whether you're listening live or you're hearing this later on in the recording, I thank you very much. Orly Rose says, Honestly, I thought they were both in one chapter. Yeah, the the, the uh, watching the movies will kind of compress down those as well. I... I, of course, saw, I, I know how it is because I did my prep on this earlier today in between my other two, uh, in, in between my two streams for the day. Um, but yeah, other than that, like I, I probably would have thought that they were the same chapter as well. Um, that is how they're presented in the, uh, in the movies and you know, that's all right. It's, I frankly, uh, I consider that, uh, once again, pretty good dramaturgy. They did a good job. Um, but, you know, let's, let's talk about this this idea of perspective as well for a moment. Um, you know, one of this, these ideas that we've been tracking throughout here. We're going to talk about this for just a second, and then I'm going to fill up my water, and we're going to jump right back in and uh, read Chapter 10. But um, this idea of perspective, right? In the movies, we bounce back and forth. We get the, the golden duo, as I've heard them called in chat here today, um, but uh, Frodo and Sam. We, we, we hang out with the two of them, and we bounce back and forth between those two, and then the things going on with Merry Pippin, Legolas, Aragorn, Gimli, uh, Gandalf, Eomer, Theoden, etc. Um, I got the whole list without stumbling once. I only did it in, in a suboptimal order. It's fine. Um, but all of this, uh, we bounce back and forth between the two, whereas here in the books, we find that we spend basically the entire part one of the two towers away from Sam and Frodo so we can guess what's going to be coming in part two of the two towers. Um, uh, But this issue of perspective, it's interesting that we spend so much time away from Sam and Frodo. I think it does contribute to a great sort of growing of, of tension, right? What is going on in all of this with Sam and Frodo? There's a lot happening. And every time we see, you know, some... Uh, uh, some plume of smoke on the horizon, or, uh, you know, a a light off in the distance. It's hard not to wonder if this is some great act of evil being perpetrated to bring the ring finally into the clutches of Sauron or of Saruman. It's hard not to imagine these things. Um, And that's why I think overall, although I am definitely like... Uh, in my first read through, I don't remember exactly, but I have to imagine. In my first read through, I was thinking like, okay, we gotta gotta get back to Frodo and Sam. I gotta know what's going on with those two. We've been away from them for too long, and theirs is sort of the quote most important mission. Uh, even though, as I've mentioned many times before, it this is all part of the same mission. Um, but it does it serves to elevate tension, and uh, I'll just uh, bring your. Bring your um kind of attention to this we're not going to discuss it as much as just bring your attention to it um when we when we arrive here the, this issue of perspective comes up again because the perspective is not being alongside Marion and pippin while it's happening that would have been easy enough just throw it in a chapter before um uh uh before the siege of helms deep or split it into two chapters one before and one after the siege of helms deep and just continue to bounce back and forth consider for a moment we can call this our chatter break question why why not see this happen in media res why instead have all of this information about the siege of Orthanc be presented as a recap by marion pippin why do it like that interesting go ahead discuss that i'll be right back i'm just going to fill up this water and we're going to jump immediately into chapter 10 all right that's it folks If you want some review, very, very briefly, we catch back up with Merry and Pippin, and Merry and Pippin get us caught up on the Siege of Orthanc by the Ents. The Ents destroyed the whole thing, some of them went off to help at Helm's Deep and then came back, and Saruman is up in his tower, joined by his mysterious servant, Grima Wormtongue. Let's have a chat with him, shall we? Chapter 10 The Voice of Saruman They passed through the ruined tunnel and stood upon a heap of stones, gazing at the dark rock of Orthanc and its many windows, a menace still in the desolation that lay all about it. The waters here had nearly all subsided. Here and there, gloomy pools remained covered with scum and wreckage, but most of the wide circle was bare again. A wilderness of slime and tumbled rock, pitted with blackened holes and dotted with posts and pillars leaning drunkenly this way and that. In the rim of the shattered bowl there lay vast mounds and slopes, like shingles cast up by a great storm, and beyond them the green and tangled valley ran up the long ravine in between the arms of the mountains. Across the wastes they saw riders picking their way. They were coming from the north side, and already they were drawing near to Orthank. There he is Gandalf and Theoden and his men, said Legolas. Let us go and meet them. Uh, walk warily, said Mary. Uh, there are loose slabs that might tilt up and throw you down into a pit if you don't take care. They followed what was left of the road from the gates to Orthanc, going slowly, for the flagstones were cracked and slimed. The riders, seeing them approach, halted under the shadow of the rock and waited for them. Gandalf rode forward to meet them. "'Well, Tribiad and I have had some very interesting discussions and made a few plans,' he said. "'And we have all had some much-needed rest. "'Now we must be going on again. "'I hope you companions have all rested too and refreshed yourselves.' "'We have,' said Mary. "'But our discussions began and ended in smoke. "'Still we feel less ill-disposed towards Saruman than we did.' "'Do you indeed?' uh, said Gandalf. "'Well, I do not. "'I have now a last task to do before I go. "'I must pay Saruman a farewell visit. "'Dangerous and probably useless, but it must be done. "'Those of you who wish to come with me may. "'But beware and do not jest. "'This is not the time for it. "'I will come,' said Gimli. "'I wish to see him and learn if he really looks like you.' "'And how will you learn that, Master Dwarf?' said Gandalf. Saruman could look like me in your eyes if it suited his purpose with you. "'And are you yet wise enough to detect all of his counterfeits? "'We shall see. "'Perhaps he may be shy of showing himself before so many different eyes together.' But I have ordered all the Ents to remove themselves from sight, so perhaps we shall persuade him to come out. "'What's the danger?' said Pippin. "'Will he shoot at us, or pour fire out of the windows, "'or can he put a spell on us from a distance?' Uh, "'The last is less likely if you ride to his door with a light heart,' said Gandalf, "'and there is no knowing what he can do, or may choose to try.' A wild beast cornered is not safe to approach, and Saruman has powers you do not guess. Beware of his voice. They came now to the foot of Orthanc. It was black, and the rock gleamed as if it were wet. The many faces of stone had sharp edges as though they had been recently chiseled. A few scorings and small flake-like splinters near the base were all the marks that it bore, of the fury of the Ents. On the eastern side, in the angle of two piers, there was a great door, high above the ground, and over it was a shuttered window, opening up upon a balcony hedged with iron bars. Up to the threshold of the door were mounted a flight of 27 broad stairs, hewn by some unknown art of the same black stone. This was the only entrance to the tower, but many tall windows were cut with deep embrasures in the climbing walls for above they peered like little eyes in the sheer faces of the horns. At the foot of the stairs, Gandalf and the king dismounted. I will go up, said Gandalf. I have been in Orthanc, and I know my peril. And I will go too, said the king. I am old, and fear no peril any more. I wish to speak with the enemy who has done me so much wrong. Eomer shall come with me and see that my aged feet do not falter. As you will, said Gandalf, Aragorn shall come with me, Let the others await us at the foot of the stairs, they will hear and see you soon enough, if there is anything to hear or see. Nay, said Gimli, Legolas, and I wish for a closer view, we alone here represent our kindred, we also will come behind. Come then, "'said Gandalf, and with that he climbed the steps, and Théoden went beside him. "'The riders of Rohan sat uneasily upon their horses, "'on either side of the stair, and looked up darkly at the great tower. "'Fearing what might befall their lord, "'Mary and Pippin sat at the bottom step, feeling both unimportant and unsafe. "'Half a sticky mile from here to the ground,' muttered Pippin. Wish I could slip off back to the guardroom unnoticed. What do we come for? We're not wanted. Gandalf stood before the foot of the door of Orthanc and beat on it with his staff. It rang with a hollow sound. Saruman! 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 He cried with a loud, commanding voice. Saruman, come forth! For some time there was no answer. At last, the window above the door was unbarred, but no figure could be seen at its dark opening.
1: "'Who is
0: it?' said a voice. What, "'What do you wish?' Theoden started. "'I know that voice,' he said, "'and I cursed the day when I first listened to it.' "'Go and fetch Saruman," since you became his footman, Grima Wormtongue,' said Gandalf, "'and do not waste our time.' The window closed. They waited. Suddenly, another voice spoke, low and melodious, its very sound and enchantment. Those who listened unwarily to that voice could seldom report the words they had heard, and if they did, they wondered, for little power remained in them. Mostly they remembered only that it was a delight to hear the voice speaking. All that it said seemed wise and reasonable, and desire awoke in them by swift agreement to seem wise themselves. When others spoke, they seemed harsh and uncouth by contrast, and if they gainsaid the voice, anger was kindled in the hearts under the spell. For some, the spell lasted only while the voice spoke to them, and... When it spake to another, they smiled, as men do when they see through a juggler's trick while others gape at it. For many, the sound of the voice alone was enough to hold them enthralled, but for those whom it conquered, the spell endured when they were far away, and ever they heard that soft voice whispering and urging them. But none were unmoved, none rejected its pleas and its command without an effort of mind and will, so long as its master had control of it. "'Well,' it said now, with gentle question, "'why must you disturb my rest? "'Will you give me no peace at all by night or day?' "'Its tone was that of kindly heart, "'aggrieved by injuries undeserved. "'They looked up, astonished, "'for they had heard no sound of his coming, "'and they saw a figure standing at the rail.' Looking down upon them, an old man, swathed in a great cloak, the color of which was not easy to tell, for it changed if they moved their eyes or if he stirred. His face was long, with high forehead. He had deep, darkling eyes, hard to fathom, though the look that they now bore was grave and benevolent and a little weary. His hair and beard were white, but strands of black still showed about his lips and ears. "'Like, and yet, unlike,' muttered Gimli. "'But come now,' said the soft voice, "'two at least of you I know by name. "'Gandalf I know too well to have much hope "'that he seeks help or counsel here. "'But you, Theoden, lord of the Mark of Rohan, are declared by your noble devices, and still more by the fair countenance of the house of Eorl. O worthy son of Thengel, the thrice renowned, why have you not come before? And as a friend, much have I desired to see you, mightiest king of western lands, and especially in these latter years to save you from the unwise and evil counsels that beset you. Is it yet too late? Despite the injuries you have done to me, in which the men of Rohan, alas, have had some part, still, I would save you and deliver you from the ruin that draws nigh inevitably if you ride upon this road which you have taken. Indeed, I alone can aid you now. Théoden opened his mouth as if to speak, but said nothing. He looked up at the face of Saruman with its dark, solemn eyes bent down upon him, and then to Gandalf at his side, and he seemed to hesitate. Gandalf made no sign, but sat still and silent as stone, as one waiting patiently for some call that has not yet come. The riders stirred at first murmuring with approval at the words of Saruman, and then they, too, were silent as men spellbound. It seemed to them that Gandalf had never spoken so fair and fittingly to their lord. Rough and proud now seemed all his dealings with Théoden, and over their hearts crept a shadow, the fear of a great danger, the end of the mark." in a darkness to which Gandalf was driving them, while Saruman stood beside a door of escape, holding it half open so that a ray of light came through. There was a heavy silence. It was Gimli, the dwarf, who broke in suddenly. "'The words of this wizard stand on their heads,' he growled, gripping the handle of his axe. "'In the language of Orthanc, help means ruin, and saving means slaying. That is plain.' we do not come here to beg peace said Saruman and for a fleeting moment his voice was less suave and a light flickered in his eyes and was gone I do not speak to you yet Gimli glowing son, he said far away is your home and small concern of yours are the troubles of this land BUT IT WAS NOT BY DESIGN OF YOUR OWN THAT YOU BECAME EMBROILED IN THEM, AND SO I WILL NOT BLAME SUCH PART AS YOU HAVE PLAYED. A VALIANT ONE, NO DOUBT. BUT I PRAY YOU, ALLOW ME FIRST TO SPEAK WITH THE KING OF ROHAN, MY NEIGHBOUR, AND ONCE MY FRIEND. WHAT HAVE YOU TO SAY, KING THEODEN, WILL YOU HAVE PEACE WITH ME? And all the aid that my knowledge founded in long years can bring. Shall we make our counsels together against evil days and repair our injuries with such good will that our estates shall both come to fairer flower than ever before? Still Theoden did not answer. Whether he strove with anger or doubt, none could say. Eomer spoke. "'Lord, hear me,' he said. "'Now we feel the peril that we were warned of. "'Have we ridden forth to victory only to stand at last amazed by an old liar with honey on his forked tongue? "'So would the trapped wolf speak to the hounds if he could. "'What aid can he give you, for so, all that he desires is escape from his plight. "'But you will parley with this dealer in treachery and murder.' Remember, Theodred, at the forts, on the grave of Hama in Helm's Deep. If we speak of poisoned tongues, what shall we say of yours, young serpent? said Saruman, and the flash of his anger was now plain to see. But come, Eomer, Eomer's son. He went on in his soft voice again. To every man his part. Valor in arms is yours, and you win high honor thereby. Slay whom your lord names as enemies, and be content. Meddle not in policies which you do not understand, but maybe, if you become a king, you will find that he must choose his friends with care." The friendship of Saruman and the power of Orthanc cannot lightly be thrown aside. Whatever grievances, real or fancied, may lie behind. You have won a hard battle, but not a war, and that, with help, on which you cannot count again. You may find the shadow of the wood at your own door next. It is wayward and senseless and has no love for men. But my lord of Rohan, am I to be called a murderer because valiant men have fallen in battle? If you go to war needlessly, for I do not desire it, then men will be slain. But if I am a murderer on that account, then all the house of Eorl is stained with murder, for they have fought many wars, and assailed many who defied them. Yet with some they have afterward made peace, none the worse for being politic. I say, Theoden King, shall we have peace and friendship, you and I, it is ours to command. We shall have peace, said Theoden, at last, thickly and with effort. Several of the riders cried out gladly. Theoden held up his hand. Yes, we shall have peace, he said, now in a clear voice. We shall have peace, when you and all of your works have perished and the works of your dark master to whom you would deliver us. You are a liar, Saruman, and the corrupter of men's hearts. You hold out your hands to me, and I perceive only a finger of the claw of Mordor, cruel and cold, even if your war on me was just as it was not. For were you ten times as wise, you would have no right to rule me and mine for your own profit as you desired. Even so, what will you say?" Of your torches in Westfold, and the children that lie dead there. And they hewed Hamma's body before the gates of Hornburg after he was dead. When you hang from a gibbet in your window for the sport of your own crows, I will have peace with you and with Orthank. Too much for the house of Earl. A lesser son of great sires am I. But I do not need to lick your fingers, turn elsewhere, but I fear your voice has lost its charm. The riders gazed up at Theoden like men startled out of a dream. Harsh as an old raven, their master's voice sounded in their ears after the music of Saruman. But Saruman, for a while, was beside himself in wrath. He leaned over the rail as if he would smite the king with his staff. To some, suddenly, it seemed that they saw a snake coiling itself to strike. Gibbets and crows, he hissed, and they shuddered at the hideous change. Dotad is the house of Eora, but a thatched barn where brigands drink in the reek, and their brats roll on the floor among the dogs. Too long have they escaped the gibbet themselves, but the noose comes slow in the drawing, tight and hard in the end. Hang on, if you will his voice changed as he slowly mastered himself. I know not why I have had the patience to speak with you, for I need you not, nor your little band of gallopers. As swift to fly as to advance, Théoden, horsemaster, long ago I offered you a state beyond your merit and your wit. I have offered it again, so that those whom you misled may clearly see the choice of roads. You give me brag and abuse. So be it. Go back to your huts. But you, Gandalf, for you at least, I am grieved. Feeling for your shame, how comes it you can endure such company? For you are proud, Gandalf. And not without reason, having a noble mind and eyes that look both deep and far, even now will you not listen to my counsel? Gandalf stirred and looked up. "'What have you to say that you did not say at our last meeting?' he asked. "'Oh, perhaps you have things to unsay?' Saruman paused. "'Unsay,' he mused, as if puzzled, "'unsay. "'I endeavoured to advise you for your own good, but scarcely you listened. "'You are proud, and do not love advice, having indeed a store of your own wisdom. "'But on that account you erred, I think, misconstruing my intentions willfully.' I fear that in my eagerness to persuade you I lost patience. And indeed I regret it, for I bore you no ill will, and even now I bear none. Though you return to me in the company of the violent and the ignorant, how should I? Are we not both members of a high and ancient order, most excellent in Middle-earth? Our friendship would profit us both alike— Much we could still accomplish together to heal the disorders of the world. Let us understand each other, and dismiss from thought these lesser folk. Let them wait on our decisions. For the common good I am willing to redress the past, and to receive you. Will you not consult with me? Will you not come up? So great was the power of Saruman exerted in this last effort that none that stood within hearing were unmoved. But now the spell was wholly different. They heard the gentle remonstrance of a kindly king with an erring but much-loved minister. But they were shut out, listening at a door to words not meant for them. Ill-mannered children or stupid servants overhearing the elusive discourse of their elders— and wondering how it would affect their lot. Of loftier mold these two were made, reverent and wise. It was inevitable that they should make alliance. Gandalf would ascend into the tower to discuss deep things, beyond their comprehension in the high chambers of Orthanc. The door would be closed, and they would be left outside, dismissed to wait allotted work or punishment. Even in the mind of Theoden the thought took shape like a shadow of doubt, He will betray us. He will go. We shall be lost. (laughs) And then Gandalf laughed. The fantasy vanished like a puff of smoke. Saruman, Saruman, said Gandalf, still laughing. Saruman, you missed your path in life. You should have been the king's jester and earned your bread and stripes, too, by mimicking his counsellors. Understand, one another. I fear I am beyond your comprehension. But you, Saruman, I understand now too well. "'I keep a clearer memory of your arguments and deeds than you suppose. "'When last I visited you, you were the jailer of Mordor, "'and there I was to be sent. "'Nay, the guest who has escaped from the roof "'will think twice before he comes in by the door. "'Nay, I do not think I will come up. "'But listen, Saruman, for the last time, will you not come down?' Isengard has proved less strong than your hope and fancy make it. "'So may other things in which you have trusted. "'Would it not be well to leave it for a while, "'to turn to new things, perhaps? "'Think well, Saruman. "'Will you not come down?' "'A shadow passed over Saruman's face, "'and then it went deathly white.' Before he could conceal it, they saw, through the mask, the anguish of a mind in doubt, loathing to stay and dreading to leave his refuge. For a second he hesitated, and no one breathed. Then he spoke, and his voice was shrill and cold. Pride and hate were conquering him. When I come down he mocked does an unarmed man come down to speak with robbers out of doors
1: i hear you well enough here
0: i'm no fool and i do not trust you gandalf they do not stand openly on my stairs but i know where the wild wood demons are lurking at your command the treacherous are ever distrustful answered gandalf wearily but you need not fear for your skin I do not wish to kill you, or hurt you, as you would know if really you understood me. And I have got the power to protect you. I am giving you a lost chance. You can leave Orthanc free, if you choose." "'That sounds well,' sneered Saruman. "'Very much the manner of Gandalf the Grey, "'so condescending, so very kind. "'I do not doubt that you would find "'or oh, thank Commodius and my departure convenient. "'But why should I wish to leave? "'And what do you mean by free? "'There are conditions, I presume?' "'Reasons for leaving you can see from your own windows.' answered Gandalf. "'Others will occur to your thought. Your servants are destroyed and scattered. Your neighbours you have made your enemies, and you have cheated your new master, or tried to do so. When his eye turns hither it will be a red eye of wrath. But when I say free, I mean free. Free from bond, or chain of command.' To go where you will, even, even to Mordor, Saruman, if you desire. But you will first surrender to me, the key of Orthanc, and your staff. They shall be pledges of your conduct, to be returned later, if you merit them. Saruman's face grew livid, twisted with rage, and a red light was kindled in his eyes. He laughed wildly. <laughs> later he cried and his voice rose to a scream later yes when you've got the keys of Barad-dûr itself i suppose and the crowns of seven kings and the rods of the five wizards and have purchased yourself a pair of boots many sizes larger than those you wear now a modest plan hardly one in which my help is needed i have other things to do do not be a fool "'If you wish to treat with me while you have a chance, "'go away and come back when you are sober "'and leave behind these cutthroats and small tag "'that tangle at your heels. "'Good day!' "'He turned and left the balcony. "'Come back, Saruman!' said Gandalf in a commanding voice. "'To the amazement of the others, Saruman turned again, "'as if dragged against his will, "'and he came slowly back to the iron rail, "'leaning on it, breathing hard.' His face was lined and shrunken. His hand clutched his heavy black staff like a claw. "'I did not give you leave to go,' said Gandalf sternly. "'I have not finished. "'You have become a fool, Saruman, and yet pitiable. "'You might still have turned away from evil and folly and have been of service, "'but you choose to stay and gnaw at the ends of your old plots. "'Stay, then!' "'But I warn you, you will not easily come out again, "'not unless the dark hands of the East stretch out and take you, Saruman!' "'He cried, and his voice grew in power and authority. "'Behold, I am not Gandalf the Grey, whom you betrayed. "'I am Gandalf the White, who has returned from death. "'You have no colour now, and I cast you from the Order and from the Council.' He raised his hand and spoke slowly in a clear, cold voice, Saruman, your staff is broken. There was a crack, and the staff split asunder in Saruman's hand, and the head of it fell down at Gandalf's feet. Go, said Gandalf. With a cry, Saruman fell back and crawled away. At the moment, a heavy, shining thing came hurtling down from above. It glanced off the iron rail, even as Saruman left it and passed close to Gandalf's head, and it smote the stair upon which he stood. The rail rang and snapped. The stair cracked and splintered in glittering sparks, but the ball was unharmed. It rolled down the steps, a globe of crystal, dark but glowing with a heart of fire, as it bounded away toward a pool, Pippin ran after it and picked it up. The murderous rogue! cried Eomer. But Gandalf was unmoved. No, that was not thrown by Saraban. Nor even at his bidding, I think. It came from a window far above. A parting shot from Master Wormtongue, I fancy, but ill aimed. The aim was poor, maybe, because he could not make up his mind which he hated more. "'You, or Saruman,' said Aragorn. "'That may be so,' said Gandalf. "'Small comfort will those two have in their companionship. "'They will gnaw one another with words. "'But the punishment is just. "'If one tongue ever comes out of Orthanc alive, "'it will be more than he deserves. "'Yeah, my lad, I'll take that. "'I did not ask you to handle it,' he cried, "'turning sharply and seeing Pippin coming up the steps slowly, "'as if he were bearing a great weight.' He went down to meet him and hastily took the dark globe from the hobbit, wrapping it in the folds of his cloak. "'I will take care of this,' he said. "'It is not a thing, I guess, that Saruman would have chosen to cast away. "'But he may have got other things to cast,' said Gimli. "'If that is the end of the debate, let us go away out of stone's throw, at least.' "That is the end,' said Gandalf. "'Let us go.' They turned their backs on the doors of Orthanc and went down. The riders hailed the king with joy and saluted Gandalf. The spell of Saruman was broken. They had seen him come at call and crawl away, dismissed. "'Well, that is done,' said Gandalf. "'I must find Treebeard and tell him how things have gone.' "'He will have guessed, surely,' said Merry.' "'Were they likely to end up any other way?' "'Not likely,' answered Gandalf, "'though they come to the balance of a hair. "'But I had reason for trying, some merciful and some less so. First, Saruman was shown that the power of his voice was waning. "'He could not be both tyrant and counsellor. "'When the plot is ripe it remains no longer secret.' yet he fell into the trap and tried to deal with his victims piecemeal while others listened. Then I gave him a lost choice, and a fair one, to renounce both Mordor and his private schemes, and make amends by helping us in our need. He knows our need, none better. Great service he could have rendered, but he has chosen to withhold it and keep the power of Orthanc. He will not serve... Only command. He lives now in the shadow of Mordor, and yet he still dreams of riding the storm. Unhappy fool, he will be devoured if the power of the East stretches out its arms to Isengard. We cannot destroy or thank from without, but Sauron, who knows what he can do? And what if Sauron does not conquer "'What will you do to him?' asked Pippin. I nothing,' said Gandalf. "'I will do nothing to him. "'I do not wish for mastery. "'What will become of him, I cannot say. "'I grieve that so much was good, "'and now festers in the tower. "'Still for us things have not gone badly. "'Strange are the turns of fortune.' Often does hatred hurt itself, I guess that, even if we had entered in, we could have found few treasures in thank more precious than the thing which Wormtongue threw down at us. <coughs> A shrill shriek, suddenly cut off, came from an open window above them. It seems Saruman thinks so, too, said Gandalf. Let us leave them. They turned now to the ruins of the gate. Hardly had they passed out under the arch when, from among the shadows of the piled stones where they had stood, Treebeard and a dozen other Ents came riding up. Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas gazed at them in wonder. Here are three of my companions, Treebeard, said Gandalf. I have spoken of them, but you have not yet seen them. He named them one by one. The old Ent looked at them long and searchingly and spoke to them in turn. Last, he turned to Legolas.
1: Hmm. "'So you have come all the way from Mirkwood, my good elf. A very great forest it used to be.'
0: "'And still is,' said Legolas, "'but not so great that we who dwell there tire of seeing new trees.' I would dearly love to journey in Fangorn's Wood. I scarcely passed beyond the eaves of it, and I did not wish to turn back. Treebeard's eyes gleamed with pleasure. I hope
1: that you have your wish ere the trees (laughs) be much older.
0: I will come, if I have the fortune, said Legolas. I have made a bargain with my friend that, if all goes well, we shall visit Fanghorn together by your leave. Any elf that comes with you would be welcome, said Treebeard. said Treebeard. The friend I speak of is not an elf, said Legolas. I mean Gimli, glowing son here. Gimli bowed low, and the axe slipped from his belt and clattered to the ground. Mm, now, mm, said Treebeard, looking dark-eyed at him, a dwarf and an axe-bearer. Mm.
1: I have good will to elves, but you ask much. This is a strange friendship.
0: Strange it may seem, said Legolas. But while Gimli lives, I shall not come to Fangorn alone. His axe is not for trees, but for orknecks, O Fangorn, master of Fangorn's wood. Forty-two he hewed in the battle. (sighs) Mmm, come now, said Treebeard.
1: That is a better story. Well, well, things will go as they will, and there is no need to hurry to meet them. But now we must part for a while. Day is drawing to an end, yet Gandalf says you must go ere nightfall, and the lord of the mark is eager for his own house
0: Yes, we must go and go now, said Gandalf. I fear I must take your gatekeepers from you, but you'll manage well enough without them.
1: Maybe I
0: shall. Said Treebeard.
1: But I shall miss them. We have become friends in so short a while. I think I must be getting hasty. Growing backwards toward youth, I wonder. But here they are the first new thing. Under sun or moon, I have seen for many a long, long day. I shall not forget them. I have put their names into the long list. Ents will remember it. Ent- The earth-born old as mountain Are wide walkers, water-drinking And hungry as hunters The hobbit children, the laughing folk The little people They shall remain friends As long as leaves are renewed Fare you well, but if news you hear up in your present land, in the Shire, send me word. You know what I mean, word or sight of the Entwives, come
0: yourselves if you can. We will, said Mary and Pippin together, and they turned away hastily. Treebeard looked at them and was silent for a while, shaking his head thoughtfully. Then he turned to Gandalf.
1: So Saruman would not leave, he said. I did not think he would. His heart is as rotten as a black horn's. Still, if I were overcome and all my trees destroyed, I would not come while I had one dark hole left to hide in. Brrrm.
0: No, said Gandalf. But you have not plotted to cover all the world with your trees and choke out other living things. But there it is. Saruman remains to nurse his hatred and weave again such webs as he can. He has the key to all thank, but he must not be allowed to escape. Um, indeed, no. Ents will see to that, said Treebeard.
1: "'Saruman shall not set foot
0: beyond
1: the rock without my leave. and will watch over him.'"
0: "'Good,' said Gandalf. "'That is what I hoped. Now I can go and turn to other matters with one care less. But you must be wary. "'The waters have gone down. It will not be enough to put sentinels round the tower, I fear.' "'I do not doubt there were deep ways, delved under Orthanc, "'and that Saruman hopes to go and come unmarked before long. "'If you will undertake the labour, I beg of you to pour in the waters again, "'and to do so until Isengard remains a standing pool, "'or you discover the outlets. "'When all the underground places are drowned and all the outlets blocked, "'then Saruman must stay upstairs and look out of the windows.' Leave it to the ants," said Treebeard. We shall search
1: the valley from head to foot and peer under every pebble. Trees are coming back to live here. Old trees, wild trees. The Watchwood, we will call it. Not a squirrel will go here, but I shall know of it. Leave it to the end. Until seven times the years in which he tormented us have passed. We shall not tire of watching him. (sighs) i no. no.
0: Exciting chapter. (laughs) I think the last stream and this stream, frankly, even if chapter 11 goes all to hell, these two chapters already are just like. They're exciting, aren't they? Mm, So much happening. This is like one to one confrontation. This is the stuff that we read books for. I understand. I genuinely understand when people watch movies for battle scenes, for action scenes. But I think this is why we read books. We love to we love to get all of this time to spend with these characters and how their power subtly washes back and forth between them. The ways in which Saruman tried to influence each one of these people in their turn, and this entire scene construction from Tolkien, the way in which he said, "What better use is there for my time in this chapter than to present?" How the downfall of a manipulator may come to pass. The manipulator stands in his tower, and is forced to address everyone at the same time. No longer can he counsel Theoden through worm tongue. Counsel Theoden against listening to Gandalf because Gandalf is a bringer of bad news and a, a warmonger. No more can he influence the individual riders of Rohan, these citizens, into thinking that their leader is dotard, to put the uh, to put it in, in uh, Saruman's exact words. No longer can he whisper in Gandalf's ear, listen, come to council with me and the two of us. With our power so much greater than the rest of the world, the two of us, can and must make the decisions for all. No. No, not anymore. In spite of his honeyed words, we have the opportunity to listen because we, of course, being plebeians ourselves, We are much closer to the Merry and the Pippin listening, much closer to the average rider on horseback looking at their king and wondering, will you entreat with him? Looking at Gandalf and wondering, will you go and take counsel with this person? In spite of how sweetly it falls upon our ears, yet still we are made to feel like, when he's not talking to me, he makes me feel like an idiot. He makes me feel like nothing. And maybe that's an effective strategy, but not for long. It certainly breeds no love. What an excellent chapter. What an excellent chapter. (laughs) Uh, And in the same way, of course, you know, he can't speak to Gandalf and continue to pretend like, oh, you and I are so much above the rest of this world, when simultaneously he has to spend. You know, know, paragraphs and paragraphs, trying to beg these people in his secretive way uh, not to come storm his castle. (laughs) He can't convince Gandalf that he and Gandalf are just above it all when he has to beg these people right next to Gandalf's ear. And of course, I don't think Gandalf being in this current state is much threatened by Saruman's pleadings, proceedings, but still does make it all really difficult. So just a really well-constructed chapter and not our last chapter of the evening. We've got one more. Chapter 11, The Palantir, and I will let you all know that Chapter 11 is the last chapter in Part 1. This is it. We move on into Part 2 after this. Um, The first chapter of which is titled The Taming of Smeagol. Where do you think that will put us? Where do you think that'll end us up? Pretty Spade says, oh snap, hold up, I may have to go make myself a cocktail. Hey, Pretty Spade, that sounds genuinely like I would love the idea that somebody is sitting there with a hot chocolate or a cocktail or just you know something nice, a puzzle maybe, something to make your evening gentle. Um, uh, something to, to, uh, help you to reset in your life, an opportunity to come here and find a little bit of peace that, that makes me feel glad in my heart for what we're doing here. So thanks y'all. Thanks book club, my goofy little internet book club. I love you guys. I love you folks. Um, Orly Rose says this shows how easily the mask falls off a manipulator when someone actually challenges them. Yes, and and this is the best way to do it, right? This this idea that, you know, he's going to be able to hide all of his different dealings with different people. I am familiar with some manipulators, right? I I I know some from <laughs> from different parts of my life and the absolute best way to deal with it is put everybody in a room together. You can't lie, you can't tell conflicting lies to two different people if they're both in the same room together. You got to find a story and stick to it. And then it breaks down. It starts to break down real quick. That can be hard. That can be hard circumstances to contrive. You know, getting a manipulator in the same room with everybody. But boy, watch how Quickly, it all falls apart. You know, the physical walls of this. It's it's you know it's fun to watch it almost dismissively happen in a flashback, conveyed to us by Marion Pippin. How quickly these great walls of Orthanc fell. But but then look at how all of all of his great and powerful work. All of <laughs> all of Saruman's powerful work, all of his delicate, intricate manipulations, Gandalf doesn't even say anything for the first half of this conversation. He willfully says nothing, does nothing, gives no sign. He's waiting for his moment, and his moment is not to stand up here and and try and sort of like fight for spell casting you know, mind control power over Théoden. No, it's to sit and listen and let Théoden make his choice. And so weak is this 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 delicate spider's web that uh, uh, when it all comes crashing down, it is by an old man who is exhausted from years of ruling Rohan, uh, knowing that his time is probably near. This old man says, absolutely not. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> The only person that he gets counsel from in in his moment of hesitation, even as he is under the power of this spell, the only thing he gets counsel from is a few lines from Eomer, who says, Remember why we came here. Remember what we saw. Remember the grave of Hama, and Theoden remembers Hama's grave, and before that, Hama's body, and even before that, the children dead in the fields. He remembers why they're here. He remembers all of the promises that would be made, all of the times when... Through Grima or even directly with Saruman, they would have, you know, tried to make some sort of arrangement or agreement. And he knows how this ends up. He knows there is no acceptable version of negotiating with the Terror that tries to put on a friendly face. Terror will put on the face of a friend so that you will treat them as a friend and you will interact with them like a friend. But truly, there's no chance of it. Not for the wise. Prodeus says, this is my absolute favorite quote from the book, which is saying a lot because Theoden's we shall have peace rant is up there. I fist pumped when I heard it on my first adult read. The guest who has escaped by the roof will think twice before he comes in by the door. <laughs> Indeed. And it's it's some really sassy fun stuff from Gandalf here. And, and but you love to see Gandalf like this. You love to see Gandalf like have his moments because he spends so much time like dead or off in a library somewhere that you don't get to hear as much of sassy Gandalf as kind of you wish you could. Um, I mean, we call it sassy, but let's not forget like what it is. It is a it is the the power and the confidence of being sure of your mission because you have spent the time to ensure that you are on a right path. You've considered the suffering that is around you and the cost of your own power. And you choose to reject power for power's sake and use only the power to enact good. To reduce the amount of suffering in the world. That is that is the confidence with which Gandalf speaks. And mm, it's good to listen to. Pretty Spade does mention it's not clear to us filthy plebs, non-Silmarillion readers, uh, what exactly Gandalf's normal power scope is, because most of the time he doesn't use his powers. He keeps them very much in reserve. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, indeed. Orly uh, Rose says, see, this is why I love this most. Sam and Frodo are great, but this is just utterly top tier. And doubly so, because this was not his power. At least not chiefly. It was always Saruman's. This uh, this being, I think, sort of you know, speaking, manipulation through voice. Um, and for Saruman to be compelled back in that way, uh, was the bow on top of breaking him? Yes, indeed. Indeed. And think about it. Gandalf doesn't throw him around. You know to teach him a lesson he doesn't hurl him off the tower right all he needs to do is break the power that existed over other people and this is such oh my good grief this is such an important detail here is that and he mentions it by he mentions it explicitly right Pippin asks him what would you do what, what will you do if if Saruman doesn't come out here and rescue him what if he just stays what, what will you do to him and he says nothing much in the same way that, in this moment, I think we get a pretty strong sense he could probably hurl Saruman off the top of that tower, just standing on the on the doorstep. He could, but he doesn't. He does not desire power over other people. He simply and purely wishes to break the power that Saruman has and uses to contribute to the suffering of others. There is power producing suffering. That power must be cut off. That far I will go. I will go with with fury, but no further. Mm. Delicious. Y'all, I'm going to see you in five minutes, and then we're going to read our final chapter of the evening. The final chapter of The Two Towers, part one. I think we've talked about so much already. I'm not going to give you a chatter break question. Just continue what we've been talking about, and I'll be back with you in five. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Good to have y'all here. We return to Middle-earth one last time for this stream. One last time for The Two Towers, part one, in the form of chapter 11, the Palantir. I'm gonna roll on pretty quick through here. Um, But folks, thank you very, very much for joining me. I hope you have all enjoyed this so far. If you're looking for a spot of review, We are returning now um, to Orthanc, to Isengard, uh, to this little place that Saruman had made his little kingdom, frankly, the keep at the center of uh, what he was trying to grow into a kingdom. And now we see that it is all broken up and desolated. The Ents are here, and they're here to stay. Uh, Merry and Pippin are rejoined by uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. And now the question is, what happens next? Saruman's power is broken. What will become of this land that was once almost his? Chapter 11. The Palantir. The sun was sinking behind the long western arm of the mountains when Gandalf and his companions and the king with his riders set out again from Isengard. Gandalf took Merry behind him and Aragorn took Pippin. Two of the king's men went on ahead, riding swiftly and passed soon out of sight down into the valley. The others followed them at an easy pace. Ents in a solemn row stood like statues at the gate, and their long arms uplifted, but they made no sound. Merry and Pippin looked back when they had passed some way down the winding road. Sunlight was still shining in the sky, but long shadows reached over Isengard. Gray ruins falling into darkness. Treebeard stood alone there now, like the distant stump of an old tree. The hobbits thought of their first meeting, upon the sunny ledge far away on the borders of Fangorn. They came to the pillar of the white hand. The pillar was still standing, but the graven hand had been thrown down and broken into small pieces. Right in the middle of the road the long forefinger lay, white in the dusk, its red nail darkening to black. The Ents pay attention to every detail, said Gandalf. And they rode on. and evening deepened in the valley. Are we riding far tonight, Gandalf? Asked Mary after a while. I don't know how you feel, with the small ragtag dangling down behind you, but the ragtag is tired, and will be glad to stop dangling and lie down. So, you heard that, said Gandalf. Don't let it rankle. Be thankful no longer were to aimed at you. He had his eyes on you. If it is any comfort to your pride, I should say that at the moment you and Pippin are more in his thoughts than the rest of us. "'Who you are, how you came to be here, and why. "'What you know, whether you were captured, "'and if so, how you escaped when all the orcs perished. "'It is with those little riddles "'that the great mind of Saruman is troubled. "'A sneer from him, Meriadoc, is a compliment, "'if you feel honoured by his concern.' "'Thank you,' said Mary. "'But it's a greater honour to dangle at your tail, Gandalf. "'For one thing, in that position... "'one has a chance of putting a question a second time. "'How far are we riding tonight?' Gandalf laughed. (laughs) "'Most unquenchable hobbit! "'All wizards should have a hobbit or two in their care "'to teach them the meaning of the word, "'and to correct them, I beg your pardon. "'But I have given thought even to these simple matters. "'We will ride for a few hours, gently, till we come to the end of the valley.' "'Tomorrow we shall ride faster. "'When we came, we meant to go straight from Isengard "'back to the King's house at Edoras over the plains, "'a ride of some days, "'but we have taken thought and changed the plan. "'Messengers have gone ahead to Helm's Deep "'to warn them that the King is returning tomorrow. "'He will ride from there with many men to Dunharrow "'by paths among the hills. "'From now on no more than two or three together "'are to go openly over the land.' "'by day or night, when it can be avoided.' "'Well, nothing or a double helping is your way,' said Mary. "'I'm afraid I was not looking beyond tonight's bed. Uh, "'Where and what are Helm's Deep and all the rest of it? "'I, I don't know much about anything in this country.' "'Then you'd better learn something, "'if you wish to understand what is happening. "'But not just now, and not from me. "'I've got too many pressing things to think about.' All right, I'll tackle Strider by the campfire. He's less testy. But why all this secrecy? I thought we'd won the battle. Yes, we have won. But only the first victory, and that in itself increases our danger. Uh, There was some link between Isengard and Mordor, which I have not yet fathomed. How they exchanged news, I am not sure, but they did so. The eye of Barad-dur will be, looking impatiently toward the wizard's Vale, I think, and toward Rohan. The less it sees, the better. The road passed slowly, winding down the valley. Now further and nearer the aizen flowed in its stony bed. Night came down from the mountains. All the mists were gone. A chill wind blew. The moon, now waxing round, filled the eastern sky with a pale, cold sheen. The shoulders of the mountains to their right sloped down to bare hills. The wide plains opened gray before them. At last they halted, and then they turned aside, leaving the highway and taking to the sweet upland turf again. Going westward a mile or so, they came to a dale. It opened southward, leaning back into the slope of round Dolbaran, the last hill of the northern ranges, green-footed, crowned with heather. The sides of the glen were shaggy with last year's bracken, among which the tight curled fronds of spring were just thrusting through the sweet-scented earth thorn bushes grew thick upon the low banks and under them they made their camp two hours or so before the middle of the night they lit a fire in the hollow down among the roots of a spreading hawthorn tall as a tree ridden with age but hale in every limb buds were swelling upon each twig's tip guards were set two to a watch The rest, after they had supped, wrapped themselves in a cloak and blanket and slept. The hobbits lay in a corner by themselves upon a pile of old bracken. Merry was sleepy, but Pippin now seemed curiously restless. The bracken cracked and rustled, and he twisted and turned. "'What's the matter?' said Merry. "'You lying on an anthill?' "'No,' said Pippin. "'But I'm not comfortable. "'I wonder how long it is since I've slept in a bed.' Mary yawned. "Work it out on your fingers, he said. You must know how long it is since we left Lorien. Oh, that, said Pippin. I'm in a real bedroom, in a bed. Well, a the Rivendell then, said Mary. I could sleep anywhere tonight. You had the look, Mary, said Pippin softly, after a long pause. You were riding with candles. Well, what of it? "'Did you get any news or any information out of him?' "'Yeah, a good deal. More than usual. "'But you heard most of it, maybe all of it. "'You were close by, and we were talking no secrets. "'But you can go with him tomorrow, "'if you think you got more of a chance of getting out of him. "'If he'll have you.' "'Can I? Good, but he's close, isn't he? "'Nothing changed at all.' "'Oh, yes, he is,' said Mary, "'waking up a little and beginning to wonder "'what was bothering his companion.' He's grown or something. He can be both kinder and more alarming, merrier and more solemn than before, I think. He has changed. We haven't had a chance to see how much yet. But think of the last part of that business with Saruman. Remember, Saruman was once Gandalf's superior, head of the council, whatever that might be exactly. He was Saruman the White. Gandalf is the White now. Saruman came when he was told, and his rod was taken. And then he was told to go and he just went. Well, well, if Gandalf has changed at all, then he's closer than ever. That's all, Bibin argued. That glass bowl now. He seems mighty pleased with it. He knows or guesses something about it. But does he tell us what? No, not a word. And yet I picked it up. And I saved it from rolling into a pool. Here, I'll take that, my lad. That's all. I wonder what it is. It felt so very heavy. Pippin's voice fell very low as if he were talking to himself. Hello, said Mary. So that's what's bothering you. Now, Pippin, my lad, don't forget Gildor's saying The one that Sam used to quote. Do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, for they are subtle and quick to anger. But our whole lives for months have been one long meddling in the affairs of wizards, said Pippin. I should like a bit of information as well as danger should like a look at that bowl. Go to sleep, said Mary. You'll get information enough sooner or later. My dear Pippin, no took ever beat a brandy buck for inquisitiveness. But is this the time, I ask you? All right. What's the harm in my telling you what I should like? A look at that stone. I know I can't have it with old Gandalf sitting on it like a hen on an egg. But it doesn't help to get no more from you than a, you can't have it, so go to sleep. "'Well, what else could I say? "'I'm sorry, Pippin, but you really must wait until morning. "'I'll be as curious as you like after breakfast, "'and I'll help you in any way that I can at Wizard Weedlin, "'but I can't keep awake any longer. "'If I yawn any more, I'll split at the ears. "'Good night!' "'Pippin said no more. "'He lay still now, but sleep remained far away, "'and it was not encouraged by the sound of Mary breathing softly, "'asleep in a few minutes after saying good night.' The thought of the dark globe seemed to grow stronger as all grew quiet. Pippin felt again its weight in his hands, and he saw again the mysterious red depths into which he had looked for a moment. He tossed and turned and tried to think of something else. At last he could stand it no longer. He got up and looked around. It was chilly, and he wrapped his cloak about him. The moon was shining cold and white down into the dell, and the shadows of the bushes were black. All about lay sleeping shapes. The two guards were not in view. They were up on the hill, perhaps, or hidden in the bracken. Driven by some impulse that he did not understand, Pippin walked softly to where Gandalf lay. He looked down at him. The wizard seemed asleep, but with lids not fully closed, there was a glitter of eyes under the long lashes. Pippin stepped back hastily, but Gandalf made no sign. And drawn forward once more, half against his will, the hobbit crept up again from behind the wizard's head. He was rolled in a blanket with his cloak spread over the top, and close beside him, between his right side and his bent arm, there was a hummock, something round wrapped in a dark cloth. His hand seemed only just to have slipped off it to the ground. Hardly breathing, Pippin crept nearer, foot by foot. At last he knelt down. Then he put his hands out stealthily and slowly lifted the lump up. It didn't seem quite so heavy as he had expected. Only some bundle of oddments, perhaps, after all, he thought, with a strange sense of relief, but he did not put the bundle down again. He stood for a moment, clasping it, and then an idea came into his mind. He tiptoed away, found a large stone... And came back quickly now he drew off the cloth wrapped the stone in it and kneeled down laid it back by the wizard's hand then at last he looked at the thing he had uncovered there it was a smooth globe of crystal now dark and dead lying bare before his knees Pippin lifted it, covered it hurriedly with his own cloak, and half turned to go back to his bed. At that moment, Gandalf moved in his sleep and muttered some words. They seemed to be in a strange tongue. His hand groped out and clasped the wrapped stone. And then he sighed and did not move again. You idiotic fool, Pippin muttered to himself. You're going to get yourself in a frightful trouble. Put it back, quick. But he found now that his knees quaked and he did not dare go near enough to the wizard to reach the bundle. I'll never get the back without waking him, he thought. Not until I'm a bit calmer, so I may as well have a look first. Not here, though, he stole away, and sat down on a green hillock not far from his bed. The moon looked over the edge of the dell. Pippin sat with his knees drawn up and the ball between them. He bent low over it, looking like a greedy child stooping over a bowl of food in a corner away from the others. He drew his cloak aside and gazed at it. The air seemed still and tense about him. At first the globe was dark, black as jet, and the moonlight gleamed on its surface. And then there came a faint glow and a stir in the heart of it, and it held his eyes so that now he could not look away. Soon, all the inside seemed on fire. The ball was spinning, or the lights within were revolving. Suddenly, the lights went out. He gave a gasp and struggled, but he remained bent, clasping the ball in both hands. Closer and closer he bent, and then became rigid. His lips moved soundlessly for a while. And then, with a strangled cry, He fell back and lay still. The cry was piercing. The guards leapt down from their banks. All the camp was soon astir. this is the thief,' said Gandalf. Hastily, he cast his cloak over the globe where it lay. "'What you, Pippin? This is a grievous turn to things,' he knelt by Pippin's body. The hobbit was lying on his back, rigid, with unseeing eyes staring up at the sky. The devilry! What mischief has he done to himself?' and to all of us. The wizard's face was drawn and haggard. He took Pippin's hand and bent over his face, listening for his breath. Then he laid his hand upon his brow. The hobbit shuddered. His eyes closed. He cried out and sat up, staring in bewilderment at all the faces around him, pale in the moonlight. "'It's not for you, Saruman!' he cried in a shrill and toneless voice, shrinking away from Gandalf. "'I will send for it at once. Do you understand? Just say that!' And then he struggled to get back up and escape, but Gandalf held him gently and firmly. Peregrine took, he said. Come back. The hobbit relaxed and fell back, clinging to the wizard's hand. Gandalf. Gandalf, he cried. Forgive me. Forgive you, said the wizard. Tell me first what you have done. I took the ball and I looked at it. Stammered Pippin. "'And I saw things that frightened me. "'And I wanted to go away, but I couldn't. "'And then he came and questioned me, "'and he looked at me. "'And that's all I can remember.' "'That won't do,' said Gandalf sternly. "'What did you see? "'What did you say?' "'Pippin shut his eyes and shivered, "'but said nothing. "'They all stared at him in silence, "'except Merry, who turned away. "'But Gandalf's face was still hard. "'Speak!' he said. In a low, hesitating voice, Pippin began again, and slowly his words grew clearer and stronger. "'I saw a dark sky, and, and and, tall battlements,' he said, "'and tiny stars. It seemed very far away, and and long ago, and yet hard and clear. And the stars went out, and then they were cut off by things with wings.' Very big, I think, really, but in the glass they looked like bats wheeling around the tower. I thought that there were nine of them. One began to fly straight, told me, getting bigger and bigger. I had a horrible... No, no, I can't see. I tried to get away, because I thought that it would fly out, but when it had covered the globe, it disappeared. And then he came. He did not speak so that I could hear words. He just looked. I understood. So you've come back? Why have you neglected the report for so long? I didn't answer. He said, Who are you? I still didn't answer, but it helped me horribly and he pressed me, so I said, A, a hobbit. Then suddenly he seemed to see me. And he laughed at me. It was cruel. It was like being stabbed with knives. I, I struggled. But he said, Wait a moment. We shall meet again soon. Tell Saruman that this dainty is not for him. I will send for it at once. Do you understand? Just say that. And then he gloated over me. I felt I was falling to pieces. No, I I can't say more. I don't remember anything else. Look at me, said Gandalf. Pippin looked straight up into his eyes. The wizard held his gaze for a moment in silence. Then his gaze grew gentler and the shadow of a smile appeared he laid his hand softly on pippin's head all right he said say no more you have taken no harm there is no lie in your eyes as i feared but he did not speak long with you a fool but an honest fool you remain peregrine took "'Wiser ones might have done worse in such a pass, "'but mark this, you have been saved, "'and all of your friends too, "'mainly by good fortune, as it is called. He cannot count on it a second time. "'If he had questioned you, then and there, "'almost certainly he would have told all that you knew "'to the ruin of us all. "'But he was too eager. "'He did not want information only, "'he wanted you, quickly.' "'so he could deal with you in the Dark Tower slowly. "'Don't shudder. "'If you will meddle in the affairs of wizards, "'you must be prepared to think of such things. (sighs) "'But come. "'I forgive you. "'Be comforted. "'Things have not turned out as evilly as they might.' "'He lifted Pippin gently and carried him back to his bed.' "'Mary followed, and sat down beside him. "'Lie there and rest if you can, Pippin,' said Gandalf. "'Trust me, if you feel an itch in your palms again, tell me of it. "'Such things can be cured. "'But anyway, my dear hobbit, don't put a lump of rock under my elbow again. "'Now I will leave you two together for a while.' "'With that, Gandalf returned to the others, "'who were still standing by the Orthanc stone, troubled in thought.' Peril comes in the night when least expected,' he said. "'We have had a narrow escape.' "'How is the hobbit, Pippin?' asked Aragorn. "'I think all will be well now,' answered Gandalf. "'He was not held long, and hobbits have an amazing power of recovery. "'The memory, or the horror of it, will probably fade quickly—too quickly, perhaps.' "'Will you, Aragorn, take the Orthanc stone and guard it? "'It is a, a dangerous charge.' "'Dangerous indeed, but not to all,' said Aragorn. "'There is one who may claim it by right. "'For this, assuredly, is the Palantir of Orthanc "'from the treasury of Elendil, "'said here by the kings of Gondor. "'Now my hour draws near. "'I will take it.' Gandalf looked at Aragorn, and then to the surprise of the others he lifted the covered stone and bowed as he presented it. "'Receive it, lord,' he said, in earnest of other things that shall be given back. But if I may counsel you, the use of your own, do not use it yet. Be wary.' "'When have I been hasty or unwary?' have waited and prepared so many long years,' said Aragorn. "'Never yet. Do not stumble at the end of the road,' answered Gandalf. "'But at least keep this thing secret. You and all others that stand here, the hobbit, Peregrine, above all, should not know where it is bestowed. The evil fit may come upon him again. For alas, he has handled it and looked at it, as should never have been expected. He ought never to have touched it in Isengard, and—' "'There I should have been quicker. "'My mind was bent on Saruman, "'and I did not at once guess the nature of the stone. "'And then I was weary, "'and as I lay pondering it, "'sleep overcame me. "'Now I know.' "'Yes, there can be no doubt,' said Aragorn. "'At last we know the link between Isengard and Mordor, "'and how it worked. "'Much is explained.' "'Strange powers have our enemies.' "'and strange weaknesses,' said Théoden. "'But it has long been said, oft evil will shall evil mar.' "'That many times is seen,' said Gandalf. "'But this time we have been strangely fortunate. "'Maybe I have been saved by this hobbit from a grave blunder. "'I had considered whether or not to probe this stone myself and find its use. "'Had I done so, I should have been revealing myself to him.' I am not ready for such a trial, if indeed I shall ever be so. But even if I found the power to withdraw myself, it would be disastrous for him to see me, yet, until the hour comes when secrecy will no longer avail. "'That hour is come, I think,' said Aragorn.
1: "'Not
0: yet,' said Gandalf. "'There remains a short while of doubt which we must use. The enemy, it is clear, thought that the stone was in Orthanc.' why should he not? And that therefore the Hobbit was captive there, driven to look in the glass for his torment by Saruman. That dark mind will be filled now with the voice and face of the Hobbit, and with expectation. It may take some time before he learns his error. We must snatch that time. We have been too leisurely. We must move. The neighbourhood of Isengard is no place now to linger in. "'I will ride ahead at once with Peregrine Took. "'It will be better than him lying in the dark while the others sleep.' "'I will keep Eomer and ten riders,' said the king. "'They shall ride with me at early day. "'The rest may go with Aragorn as soon as they have a mind.' "'As you will,' said Gandalf. "'But make all the speed you may to cover the hills to Helm's deep.' At that moment, a shadow fell over them. The bright moonlight seemed to be suddenly cut off. Several of the riders cried out and crouched, holding their arms above their heads as if to ward off a blow from above. A blind fear and a deadly cold fell on them. Cowering, they looked up. A vast winged shape passed over the moon like a black cloud. It wheeled and went north, flying at a speed greater than any wind of Middle-earth. The stars fainted before it. It was gone. They stood up, rigid as stones. Gandalf was gazing up, his arms out and downward. Stiff, his hands clenched. "'Nazgul!' he cried. "'A messenger of Mordor! "'The storm is coming! "'The Nazgul have crossed the river! "'Ride! "'Ride! "'Do not wait for the dawn! "'Let not the swift wait for the slow! "'Ride!' He sprang away, calling Shadowfax as he ran. Aragorn followed him. Going to Pippin, Gandalf picked him up in his arms. "'Who shall come with me this time?' he said. "'Shadowfax shall show you his pieces.' Then he ran to the place where he had slept. Shadowfax stood there already. Slinging the small bag which was all his luggage across his shoulders, the wizard leapt onto the horse's back. Aragorn lifted Pippin and set him in Gandalf's arms, wrapped in cloak and blanket. Farewell! Follow fast!' cried Gandalf. Away, Shadowfax! The great horse tossed his head. His flowing tail flicked in the moonlight. Then he leapt forward, spurning the earth, and was gone, like the north wind from the mountains. Beautiful, restful night, said Merry to Aragorn. Some folk have wonderful luck. He didn't want to sleep, and he wanted to ride with Gandalf. And There he goes, instead of being turned into a stone himself to stand there forever as a warning. "'If you had been the first to lift the Orthanc stone, and not he, how would it be now?' said Aragorn. "'You might have done worse. Who can say? But now it is your luck to come with me, I fear. "'At once. Go and get ready, and bring anything that Pippin left behind. Make haste.' Over the plains, Shadowfax was flying, needing no urging and no guidance— Less than an hour had passed, and they had reached the fords of Isen and crossed them. The Mound of the Riders, and its cold spears, lay grey behind them. Pippin was recovering. He was warm, but the wind in his face was keen and refreshing. He was with Gandalf. The horror of the stone and of the hideous shadow over the moon was fading. Things left behind in the mists of the mountains, or in a passing dream. He drew a deep breath. I didn't know that you rode bareback, Gandalf, he said. You haven't got a saddle or a bridle? I do not ride in elf fashion except on Shadowfax, said Gandalf. But Shadowfax will have no harness. You do not ride, Shadowfax, he is willing to carry you or not. If he is willing, that is enough. It is then his business to see that you remain on his back unless you jump off into the air. "'How fast is he going?' asked Pippin. "'Fast by the wind, but very smooth. "'And how light his footfalls are!' "'He's running now as fast as the swiftest horse could gallop,' answered Gandalf. "'But that is not fast for him. "'The land is rising a little here, and is more broken than it was beyond the river. "'But see how the white mountains are drawing near under the stars. "'Yonder are the Thryhean peaks like black spears.' "'It will not be long before we reach the branching road "'and come to the deep ingum, "'where the battle was fought two nights ago.' "'Pippin was silent again for a while. "'He heard Gandalf singing softly to himself, "'murmuring brief snatches of rhyme in many tongues "'as the miles ran under them. "'At last the wizard passed into a song "'of which the hobbit caught the words. "'A few lines came clear to his ears "'through the rushing of the wind.' All ships and tall kings, three times three, what brought they from foundered land or flowing sea? Seven stars and seven stones and one white tree. What are you seeing, Gandalf? asked Pippin. I was just running over some of the rhymes of lore in my mind, answered the wizard. Hobbits, I suppose, have forgotten them, even those that they ever knew. No, uh, no, not all, said Pippin. And we've got many of our own, which wouldn't interest you, perhaps. But I've never heard this one. What's it about, the seven stars and seven stones? About the Palantiri of the kings of old, said Gandalf. And what are they? The name meant that which looks far away. The Orthanc stone was one. Then that was not made by... Not made... Pippin hesitated. By the enemy? No, said Gandalf. Nor by Saruman. It is beyond his art and beyond Sauron's too. The Polantiri came from beyond Westerness, from Eldamar. The Noldor made them. Feanor himself, maybe, wrought them in days so long ago that time cannot be measured in years. But there is nothing that Sauron cannot turn to evil uses. Alas! for Saruman! it was his downfall, as I now perceive. Perilous to us all are the devices of an art deeper than we possess ourselves. Yet he must bear the blame. Fool! but to keep it a secret for his own profit— "'No word did he ever speak of it to any other council. "'We had not yet given thought to the fate of the Palantiria of Gondor "'in its ruinous walls, but by men they were almost forgotten. "'Even in Gondor they were a secret known only to a few. "'In Arnor they were remembered only in the rhyme of lore among the Dunedain.' "'When did the men of old use them, and what for?' asked Pippin, "'delighted and astonished to be getting so many answers "'and wondering how long it would last.' "'To see far off, and to converse in thought with one another,' said Gandalf. "'In that way they long guarded and united the realm of Gondor. "'They set up stones at Minas Anor, at Minas Ithil, at Orthanc, in the ring of Eisencart. "'The chief and master of these was under the Dome of Stars at Osgiliath before its ruin. "'The three others were far away in the north. "'In the house of Elrond it is told that—' They were at Anuminas and Amon-Sul, and Elendil's stone was on the tower hills that looked toward Mithlont in the Gulf of Lune, where the grey ships lie. Each palantir replied to each, but all those in Gondor were ever open to the view of Osgiliath. Now it appears that as the rock of Orthanc has withstood the storms of time, so there the palantir of that tower has remained but alone it could do nothing but see the small images of things far away, and days remote. Very useful, no doubt, there was to ceremony, yet it seems he was not content. Further and further he gazed, until he cast his gaze upon Barad-dûr. Then he was caught. Who knows where the lost stones of Arnor and Gondor now lie buried, or drowned deep? one at least Sauron must have obtained and mastered to his purposes. I guess it was the Ithil stone, for he took Minas Ithil long ago, and turned it into an evil place. Minas Murgul it has become. Easy it is now to guess how quickly the roving eye of Saruman was trapped and held, and how ever since he has been persuaded from afar, and daunted when persuasion would not serve. The biter bit— the hawk under the eagle's foot, a spider in a steel web. How long, I wonder, has he been constrained to come often to his glass for inspection and instruction, and the Orthanc stone so bent toward Barad-dur that, if any save a will of adamant now looks into it, it will bear his mind and sight swiftly thither. And how it draws one to itself! Have I not felt it? "'Even now my heart desires to test my will upon it "'and see if I could not wrench it from him "'and turn it where I would look "'across the wide seas of water and of time "'to Tyrion the fair "'and perceive the unimaginable hand and mind of Feanor at their work "'while both the white tree and the golden were in flower.' "'He sighed and fell silent. "'I wish I had known all this before.' "'said Pippin. "'I had no notion of what I was doing.' "'Oh, yes, you did,' said Gandalf. "'You knew you were behaving wrongly and foolishly, "'and you told yourself so, "'though you did not listen. "'I did not tell you all this before, "'because it is only by musing on all that has happened "'that I have at last understood, "'even as we ride together. "'But if I had spoken sooner, "'it would not have lessened your desire "'or made it easier to resist. "'On the contrary, no." "'The burned hand teaches best. "'After that, advice about fire goes to the heart.' "'It does,' said Pippin. "'If all the seven stones were laid up before me now, "'I would shut my eyes and put my hands in my pockets.' "'Good,' said Gandalf. "'That is what I hoped.' "'But I should like to know,' Pippin began. "'Mercy!' cried Gandalf. If the giving of information is to be the core of your inquisitiveness, I shall spend all the days of mine in answering you. What more do you want to know? The names of all the stars and all the living things and the whole history of Middle-earth and over heaven and the sundering seas, laughed Pippin. Of course, what less? But I'm not in a hurry tonight. At the moment, I was just wondering about the Black Shadow. I heard you shout Messenger of Mordor. What was that? Uh, what could it do at uh, Isengard? It was a Black Rider on wings. A Nazgul," said Gandalf. "It could have taken you away to the Dark Tower. But it was not coming for me, was it?" faltered Pippin. "I mean, I didn't know that I had." "Of course not," said Gandalf. "It is two hundred leagues or more in straight flight from Barad-dur to Orthanc." "'and even a Nazgûr would take hours to fly between them. "'But Saruman certainly looked in the stone since the orc raid, "'and more of his secret thought, I do not doubt, has been read than he intended. "'A messenger has been sent to find out what he was doing, "'and after what has happened to-night another will come, I think, and swiftly. "'So Saruman will come to the last pinch of the vice that he has put his hand in. "'He has no captive to send.' "'he has no stone to see with. "'He cannot answer summons. "'Sauron will only believe "'he is withholding the captive "'and refusing to use the stone. "'It will not help Saruman "'to tell the truth to the messenger, "'for Isengard may be ruined, "'yet he still is safe in Orthanc, "'and whether he will do so or no, "'he would appear a rebel. "'Yet he rejected us, "'so as to avoid the very thing. "'What he will do in such a plight, "'I cannot guess.' "'He has got power still, I think, while in all thanks, to resist the nine riders. "'He may try to do so. "'He may try to trap the Nazgul, or at least to slay the thing on which it rides now in the air, "'and that case let Rohan look to its horses. "'But I cannot tell how it will fall out, well or ill for us. "'It may be that the counsels of the enemy will be confused or, or hindered by his wrath with Saruman.' maybe he will learn that I was there and stood upon the stairs of Orthanc "'with hobbits at my tail "'or that an heir of Elendil lives and stood beside me. "'If Wormton was not deceived by the armour of Rohan, "'he would remember Aragorn and the title that he claimed. "'That is what I fear. "'And so we fly, not from danger.' But into greater danger. Every stride of Shadowfax bears you nearer to the land of shadow, Peregrine took. Pippin made no answer, but clutched his cloak as if a sudden chill had struck him. Grey land passed under them. See now, said Gandalf, the Westfold Dales are opening before us. Here we come back to the eastward road, Dark shadow yonder is the mouth of the deeping comb. That way lies Aglarond and the glittering caves. Do not ask me about them. Ask Gimli if you meet him again, and for the first time you may get an answer longer than you wish. You will not see the caves yourself, not on this journey. Soon they will be far behind. I thought that we were going to stop at Helm's Deep, said Pippin. Where are we going to? To Minas Tirith. "'for the seas of war surround it.' "'Oh, and how far is it?' "'Leagues upon leagues,' answered Gandalf, "'thrice as far as the dwellings of King Théoden. "'They are more than a hundred miles east of here, "'as the messengers of Mordor fly. "'Shadowfax must run a longer road, "'which will prove the swifter.' "'We shall ride now until daybreak, and that is some hours away. "'Then even Shadowfax must rest, in some hollow of the hills at Edoras, I hope. "'Sleep, if you can. "'You may see the first glimmer of dawn upon the golden roof of the house of Eorl. "'And in two days, thence you shall see the purple tower of Mindolwain, "'and the walls of the tower of Denethor white in the morning.' Away now, Shadowfax. Run, great heart, run as you have never run before. Now we are come to the lands where you will fold in every stone you know. Run now. Hope is in speed. Shadowfax tossed his head and cried aloud, as if a trumpet had summoned him to battle. Then he sprang forward. Fire flew from his feet. Night rushed over him. As he fell slowly to sleep, Pippin had a strange feeling... He and Gandalf were still a stone seated on the back of a statue of a running horse while the world rolled away beneath his feet with a great noise of wind. good chapters, but I am exhausted. A long day. Longer than average stream here, obviously, by a decent pace. And then also um, a longer than average Sherlock stream as well. That one's about 10,000 words. So I think just today I've read about 30,000 words aloud. Um, not Not my record for words, I would say, and probably not even my record for words read aloud in one day. I think, I think. <laughs> Y'all remember when uh, we read, uh, which one was it? Was it Shadow Over Innsmouth or Dagon? It was Shadow Over Innsmouth. Y'all remember when we read Shadow Over Innsmouth and I didn't kind of realize what I was getting myself into and I was like, hey, do we want to do this? Cause it's going to be a lot. Are we going to just go for it? And then we, we did do that thing. That was, I think still my longest reading day. I think, let me, I wonder if I've got my, do I have my word counts here? I do. Ooh, we might've beat it, gang. Today was Today was about 30,000 words. Shadow over Innsmouth was 27,000 words. I think today might've been my longest ever reading day. Is that right? It might be right. Stretching, stretching out. Ah. Y'all, thank you a ton for being here. Um, I hope all of you are well. Proteus Spade, Orly Rose, I see you here in chat. The the diehards, uh, Missy, I see you. I think you've uh you've headed out, but uh, everybody, thank you so much for watching. I love y'all. Thank you a ton for being here. I definitely need to uh, call it for the night. Proteus says that was a lot of chapter. Yes, indeed it was. Um, uh, yeah, t- just an awful lot of chapter there. Um. And uh, so I'll just leave you all with sort of the, not really a chatter break, but just sort of a consideration, right? Think about the way in which um, uh, perspective was used in this. You know, there would have been opportunities, I think, to uh, have lots of things become just news delivered by other people, like the news of the sort of battle over Isengard was conveyed by Marian and Pippin. Why, why follow certain people at certain times? just something to think about something, something fun, something to think about as you read other things throughout your week. Um, Something to consider as you look on at, uh, you know, the various other things that you end up reading. Why tell things in certain ways? Why tell these stories from perspectives like that? And not just in fiction. I think the devil in the white city is maybe the, you know, some of the best like most creative use of perspective I've ever read uh, in nonfiction stuff. But, you know, even beyond that, just in in uh, uh, consider the the points of view that like news takes, et cetera, consider the ways in which that serves the story that they're trying to tell. Something to think about. Oh, absolutely. Proteus Spade. Freddie Spade says, oh, snap, another Devil in the White City fan. Absolutely. One of the best, one of the best books I've ever read, uh, fiction or nonfiction, but almost definitely the best nonfiction I've ever read. Absolutely. Y'all, thank you so very much for being here. Jade. <laughs> Jade, thank you a ton. Everybody, I hope you have a fine evening. And I will talk to you later on. Don't forget, everybody, if you want to find out more about Sidecar Stories, whether it's about the schedule, or what we're currently doing, or where you can find the back episodes of these things, or what we get up to on Wednesdays with the Realms of Residus uh, RP and Adventure Server, all of these things can be found with one link. Linktree slash Sidecar Stories. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Sidecar Stories. You'll find it in chat now. And everybody, thank you so much for being here.